0: everyone, I'm Alicia. Hi, I'm Shelby. And we're super into it, a Marvel Watch podcast. And we're super into the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. everyone welcome back to super into it a marvel watch podcast we're so happy to be back for another episode another installment to talk about falcon and the winter soldier we're going to be talking about episode four today the whole world is watching uh but first we're going to kind of give you a rundown of all the marvel news that's been happening lately because there's been a lot there's been
1: so much and it all started with um the mtv movie and tv
0: awards on sunday marvel basically swept the whole show so they did. that's exciting they swept all their categories and they all looked great doing it they did it's great. I, I'm a huge fan of the MTV Movie TV Awards. Uh, I just find that they nominate shows that I watch and then the shows I watch actually win, which is nice, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to like the Academy Awards, which is a lot more indie background. So it, it's nice to watch something that's directly for blockbuster movies, superhero movies, you know, the movies that aren't cinema. Regardless, Marvel swept their categories. They did look good doing it. And we have the rundown of every single award they won. So the night kicked off right away with Anthony Mackie winning Best Hero, which yeah, his I mean, first award as Captain America. First award as Captain America Spoiler is Best alert. Hero.
1: Spoiler alert: Sam Wilson becomes Captain America.
0: I mean, I would hope that's where the show is going at this point, but yeah, but who yeah, knows? It's his
1: first award that's so exciting and it's like a fan chosen award which makes it even more like heartfelt that people have already gravitated to Sam we knew but like to know that people voted that much for him as Captain America is really really cool
0: yeah he seemed he was easily like the most present person at that award show he definitely wasn't one of these like celebrities that goes to the MTV Awards and kind of is like oh it's the MTV Awards kind of like the Teen Choice Awards no he was present he was there he was having a blast and it was just, you know, it was amazing. The MTV Awards, every time they introduced him, they called him Captain America, which was, I mean, just hearing like the coming up next our Captain America yeah. nearly made me cry. So it, it was just, it was a great moment. And I, I, yeah, I'm so happy that he got that recognition.
1: He looked like he had the best time. Every time he was on the stage, like accepting an award, he would like look around and make eye contact with the crowd. He was like, he was he was so personable. I loved it. And even on the way there in his car, he was like making jokes (laughs) about Sebastian Stan not being able to be with him because Sebastian's off being a rock star, which he reflected in his speeches as well. Because Sebastian, if you haven't seen, quick aside, if you haven't seen the photos of him, um, he is going to be Tommy Lee in the upcoming Hulu limited series. I think it's called Pam and Tommy. He's recognizable. Like I, I know that that's Sebastian Stan, but Sebastian has always been really great at kind of, melting into whatever role he needed to like melding himself into the character and he definitely did this with tommy lee he looks so much like him and lily james is unrecognizable as pamela anderson it's nuts yeah but, they did a good um, job of her i hope yeah i hope that her like makeup artists get some type of award whenever that rolls around because it's so good so yeah it was really fun to watch anthony continuously bring up how proud he was of sebastian despite him being sad that he couldn't come to the award show
0: with him i was like oh besties. Yeah, they really are besties, which is why of course later in the night they also won best duo for Falcon and Winter Soldier, which I don't know if that's a surprise, but if I had to not if I had to let anybody win for best duo in a TV show, it would be Sam and Bucky because I think they've just like knocked it out of the park this year with their banter and their on-screen and off-screen friendship. Yeah. So it was really great to see Mackie get up there and, and kind of get to talk a little bit about that. It was also great just to see him praise Sebastian Stan but also kind of like, you know, digging at him. him a little bit. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then really tying it all off in a nice little bow by just basically, you know, throwing Tom Holland's name in there, scorching some earth there with Tom Holland. May that joke never end. After <laughs> he roasted Sebastian Stan and Tom Holland for separate reasons, he then thanked Elizabeth Olsen for being amazing which yeah. he was like she's the best and he's not <laughs> wrong their
1: reunion on the carpet with josh horowitz everything. oh my gosh everything so good the yeah she so... just like came up behind him and he was like oh my god
0: <laughs> i love it we're just so emotional at this point over the fact that anybody can hug that i think that yes. just like did me in yeah, that was just seeing like anybody hug at this point would would make me emotional. But no, there's, it was really great to see them have the reunion.
1: There's some fan art that we retweeted on our Twitter account of somebody like made some art of that picture of them hugging. But it's like Wanda and her new suit. And Sam yes, and, and his. Yes, I saw that.
0: I love it. It is. It's really adorable. I've seen it. Yeah, I, I love when fan art comes out. Like, I, I don't know if they when they do this, if they know fan art's going to come out of these kind of inter- interactions. Yeah. But they do. And they're so cute. And we have so many talented fans in the fandom Mm -hmm. that I just love seeing What everybody does with it—it's just awesome. Falcon and Winter Soldier took home—I think that was everything for them. They took home Best Duo and Best Hero. Mm -hmm. So from there, it was just WandaVision's duty to sweep the rest of the awards. Which, if you've watched WandaVision at all this year, you—you know that they deserve all the awards. So it was really great to just see them actually win. But Elizabeth Olsen was up first. She won Best TV Performance. My girl! I'm so proud of her. I love Uh, it. How can you not give Elizabeth Olsen? Best TV performance for her role as Wanda. I mean, she did how many sitcoms? How many costume changes? She had made her own virtual reality. I, you can't not give her the award at that point. She nailed it, and I hope that this is. I know that this is like fan voted,
1: and that people in higher positions of power don't view superhero projects with as much respect as they should. But I hope that this is a good sign for Emmy nominations because I really want lizzie to at least be nominated for an emmy
0: because she she worked her ass off on wandavision i think wandavision definitely has the opportunity to bridge the gap between these tv shows and the academy and maybe these lesser shows like the superhero shows and the teen dramas could maybe Mm -hmm. one day be seen as academy worthy if shows like wandavision can you know win and pave, pave that road for them that would be really nice because there's no reason a show like WandaVision shouldn't be nominated for, for these Academy Awards. It's, it was an incredible show. It did everything that any of the other nominees have and more. And the performances were incredible. So I really hope that, yeah, we at least see we see something come out of that in the, in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, yeah, Elizabeth won for Best TV Performance. And then Elizabeth and Catherine Hahn won for Best Fight. I don't know what was better, the fight and them winning for it or their acceptance speech because that acceptance, their acceptance speech was better because they
1: tried to reenact their fight without <laughs> yeah, their, like CGI magic. And it was brilliant.
0: <laughs> it was it was adorable. It was so cute. And then they made like a reference. I think Lizzie said at one point that it really should have been for best kiss, which yes. I appreciate. I really do. I, I I appreciate that they understand the brand. Catherine uh, Hahn also won for best villain, which is probably like my f- I'm Of all of them, I'm so happy that she won. For the way she villain. came out on stage with Agatha all along playing. And then she like made her speech
1: really funny. And then it became like really heartfelt. And she was like, all of us witches, we got
0: to stick together and use our power for good. And I was like, oh my God, you're right, Catherine Hahn. We do. <laughs> uh, it feels like a long time coming for her in terms of watching her in all these TV shows and movies over the years and just not seeing her get her due. And to actually see her win something for Agatha. After that performance was so great because she really was an incredible villain. Mm-hmm. And I find the MTV awards are really great at actually giving people who play villains recognition for that. I know over mm-hmm. the years, like they've had some some winners that there there aren't awards for best villain on TV. That's just not it's not something in the in the higher award shows that we get so I, I really do like that award and I know in the past I was really happy to see like Dylan O'Brien gave like an amazing yeah. performance in Team Wolf as a villain in one of the seasons and he ended up winning that award as well so to see Catherine win it I it's always one I look forward to. WandaVision went on to win best show to close out the night, which so happy. I mean, it's just great to see see the show get the recognition as well. Yeah. It is the best show, I think, arguably. I mean, it was, it was definitely the only show anyone could talk about for yeah. months on end. And it's something we're still talking about. So yeah, there was such a community around
1: WandaVision when it was airing that we were all like like we were all clamoring for as many details and as many clues and we were latching onto these characters in a way that i hadn't really like seen in a while it was just it was really special to go through all of that with everyone in a time we were all so disconnected um it was really nice to go online and to connect with everyone about this show that is about something so universal because grief is something we all experience in our lives so it was really nice that wandavision won an award that's fan voted it was a perfect cherry on top of the wandavision's run i think
0: it's it's literally a show paying homage to television and our love for television and it yeah. wins best show i think that that's just a great full circle moment for them and I mean, just having Catherine and Elizabeth there to receive all the awards and they seemed to again, like Anthony Mackey just have the energy. They were present. They were interacting with the fans. So yeah, I think all three of them were awesome. They they showed up. They they got those awards. It meant a lot to them. They made us feel great for voting for them and and it felt somewhat like we could share in that with them for a minute. Like mm-hmm. and those shows deserve some recognition certainly for what they've done in the last couple of months to keep us connected and entertained. And then there, there of course, was other things. You know, the, the Marvel content did not stop there at the MTV Awards. Um, we also had the Generation Award, mm-hmm. which was given to Scarlett Johansson, which, yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, she's been working in this industry for, for years. Even with Marvel, she's been around for over a decade. Yeah. In Marvel alone as Black Widow, you know, she... <laughs> I always forget that she was in We Bought a Zoo. It always (laughs) just slips my mind. So that alone is like, yeah, sure, give her an award for that. But she's been around for a long time. And I think she's put in the work and she's played, you know, a a broad range of characters. And yeah, I think as far as Generation Awards go, she definitely deserved it. Yeah. But I don't think we're... Just talking about the Generation Award and thinking of the Generation Award because she did give a speech and she was setting up for a Black Widow sneak peek. Um, But before we get to the sneak peek, uh, Shelby and I were quite excited because... (laughs) We think it's really, we we really like that she's married to Colin Jost. It's just something we laugh about the odd time. We just one of those random celebrity facts, but we were literally talking about the fact that they were married and then he came on screen and we just like lost it. Yeah, <laughs> we, we reasonably lost it. We like manifested him or something. Um, but it was actually quite a funny bit they did. I mean, Colin works with Saturday Night Live, but it, it was quite funny. He like poured. A bucket of slime over her head, like and it's the sure- Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards. <laughs> yeah, oh <laughs> uh, yeah, he just he really thought, and she yeah, she said some choice things that yeah, she dropped some some f bombs there, but it was it was quite funny, and I don't know if I think Scarlett knew it was happening. Like I think it was a, yeah. a prepared bit, but I don't think she thought he was gonna like dump it right over the front of her face into her mouth. Yeah, because so. <laughs> I'm sure Amazon yeah. Prime slime tastes great it was a pretty great bit i do i do give them that and and it went into a sneak peek for black widow that was kind of the most we've seen outside of the trailer shots we really haven't seen a lot of this movie it's the same clips like over and over again yeah. uh so we actually got to see more of an elaboration on like the one car chasing that we we keep seeing in the trailer and yeah it was i really liked it 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 gave me like winter soldier vibes. It was Mm -hmm. it was really cool. And I just I I mean Marvel does a chase a car chase scene in like every movie, but this one seems like it could be maybe a little different.
1: Yeah, I like this because we have like we haven't seen, like you said, we haven't seen a lot of this movie, but this clip lets you in on Yelena and Natasha's like relationship within like the first second of the clip. They're already bickering. Florence Pugh is already is already gonna be a big presence in the MCU moving forward. If you haven't uh, been caught up on that news, she's gonna appear in the Hawkeye show, which is exciting. I really like this clip because it's really cool to see it on the on the heels of the reel that they showed for Scarlet, because you get to see how Natasha's changed over the past decade, like how Scarlett has transformed Natasha into these different versions of herself over the years. And this Black Widow movie is another version of that. And to know that we're going to finally get to peel back more layers of that onion and get to see Natasha with people that she can like, let her guard down around is going to be really exciting considering we had to build to that with the Avengers. She didn't just immediately trust Tony or Steve or anything like that. But I think with someone like Yelena, she's immediately um, at ease probably around. And you see that in this scene, even though they're being chased that they can still find the breath to bicker with one another. It's, It's really cool to just see that evolution. Of Natasha even though um, Black Widow takes place isn't it after Civil War it takes is that yeah you know,
0: yeah so even though I, there's yeah. that
1: I still think it's interesting to see Natasha's journey
0: yeah it's it's great and I know she's mentioned like a lot of a lot of Natasha's references to this film and to her time you know in Russia and and with the black widow program was actually cut a lot of them are in deleted scenes i know i found like a civil war deleted scene reel the other day and it was her talking about how she went back to russia and she put flowers on her parents graves and it was just it was like a you know a a very important scene to this film but it wasn't actually in the film so unless you go and watch those you really miss out on the setup for that Mm. um that said, I really think it's nice to see her in a film with people who have the same skill set as her, people who not only know her history, but have a similar history. And I just, I, I'm really excited to just get into how she became the Black Widow, you know, the fallout of that. Cause we really, we really haven't seen a lot of it. We, we get throwaway lines, you know, Avengers, there, she's had so many throwaway lines in Avengers that I would love to return to and and Budapest Budapest right in my ledger like I just I really would like to elaborate on that and it looks like we might actually get to do that so yeah no I'm really excited for it um and then in other news not not Marvel related but I mean it's all anyone really is talking about right now and there's a lot of Marvel people casted in it so I feel like we need to talk about it It's the Knives Out 2, which is currently casting, and it feels like almost everyone is in this film. I have to say, I loved the first Knives Out for obvious reasons, being it's a good movie, but, you know, Chris Evans Evans in a sweater, you know, because that's basically the entire plot of that movie. Anyways, Mm -hmm. I was really not excited about a sequel because I feel like that movie was really good on its own, and we've pretty much killed everything with sequels these days. Mm. And then the first couple of actors they announced for it, I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And then and then they had to go and cast Katherine Hahn in Knives Out 2. That's like an instant, I will watch this now. I will follow this. I will watch every interview. Like you don't have to sell me on the plot of this movie or you know, Daniel Craig's weird accent. I don't care. <laughs> Put her in really awesome outfits and I'll be there. Always. I watch the bad mom's movies like a dozen times over for her alone. So yeah. Please cast her and everything. But anyways, that kind of wraps up the Marvel news. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we'll move on now to the segment of our show where we talk about what we're super into right now. So Shelby, what are you super into right now?
1: I have some weird super into things this week because I haven't been watching a lot of things. I also have been pushing off listening to the Prince Harry episode of Armchair Expert, hosted by Dak Shepard. I love that podcast. It's like my favorite podcast. And I love Prince Harry. So I'm like thrilled that Harry's living his best LA life with Meghan Markle, the queen of my heart. Um, anyway, he did this really huge interview with Dak Shepard on Armchair Expert about mental health to, um, to promote his new upcoming Apple TV Plus docuseries about mental health. And I am about halfway through it. And- it's so refreshing to hear him talk so candidly about his own experiences because I think that it will help people regardless of him being a prince, regardless of him being a privileged he is. It's, it's always helpful to hear people open up about their struggles and their mental health because it makes it that much easier for someone else to open up. Um, so I've been listening to that. Definitely recommend it. And my second weird thing is that the Ted Lasso cast like pulled a massive prank on this reporter. And it's the best thing I've ever seen. And I keep watching the video. But the Ted Lasso cast went to the FA Cup final because of course they did. And afterwards they were being interviewed about the about the match. And this guy had no idea that he was talking to the Ted Lasso cast. And they just went with the bit that Danny Rojas was like a real footballer and was like a real person not a fictional character and the cast like started seeing the Danny Rojas song and everything (sighs) like saying football is life and it's so good because I'm sure this man was just standing there like oh my god like I'm talking to these like random people and they turn out to be like footballers themselves that's so cool but it's so pure and even when this show is not on the air they're still finding a way to bring us joy and it's so good and i cannot wait for july 23rd when <laughs> when season two premieres on apple tv plus so if you haven't seen this video yet you have to go watch it it will make your day it's so wonderful i love these men with my whole heart
0: <laughs> wow shelby you came prepared okay. i did you
1: know i am a ted lasso head you know i'm obsessed with ted lasso it takes up <laughs> every, is... it takes up every waking minute of my day i love it
0: i know you're the reason i watch that show i'm, in, that I'm forever indebted so to you you literally just kept texting me watch this show and yeah. then i watched it <laughs> i'm so... so annoying about ted lasso <laughs> uh, for but, but good it works reason. you for love it. reason. yeah yeah, you were, like, the at the time, you were, like, the only one really talking about it. On, Thank on my you! Timeline. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, at the same time I watched it, everyone's like, have you seen this show? I'm like, yeah, Shelby's been yelling at me to watch it for, like, months. So Exactly. I mean, it's just so pure, and and that video was pretty hilarious. And I right? hope to get more, like, behind-the-scenes stuff from them, especially, you know, being how big Ted Lasso has gotten lately. Yeah. It's what, it's what we deserve. But you were mentioning podcasts, um, which... Dax Shepard's podcast is amazing I I find I can't get through episodes as much because they're just which is hilarious because our podcast sometimes runs like two hours long Mm -hmm. but his there's like four to six hours sometimes which like kudos because why not you know why not talk we could talk for four or six hours I totally get it (laughs) Um, which I think is just like a brand of chaos that I love about his podcast uh, but as I, we were talking, I found out that Sebastian Stan actually did a uh, episode of Just for Variety with Mark Melkin. Uh, apparently, I haven't watched it. I like haven't listened to it yet, but it's a podcast episode that came out today and just says that uh, he talks about some of his onset and offset injuries. recalls oh. the day he was offered to join the MCU and what it's like transforming into Tommy Lee for the upcoming Hulu series about the rocker and Pamela Anderson. Oh, so that's adds that to a list of things to listen to. Yeah, so I'll have to listen to that tomorrow. So that's interesting. But um, for me, what I'm super into, <laughs> I didn't come as prepared as you did. Uh, I I haven't been watching a lot of TV this week or lately. Um, I've been reading a little bit, but mainly I'm useless because it is now playoff hockey season, which is is funny because I... <laughs> I love hockey. I have to love hockey cuz I'm Canadian, but <laughs> I feel like I I don't watch a lot of sports and I I don't necessarily get into it as much as I normally would, but there's just there's something about playoff hockey and there being like a time constraint on it or something or the, and there being this big trophy at the end that they have to win that just gets me like really pumped and I have to watch like every game from start to finish without mm-hmm. multitasking and I fully become one of those people that screams at their tv over like you know the most meaningless plays that i i don't fully understand um but yeah playoff hockey has started my favorite team is the vegas golden knights currently uh i was a long time pittsburgh penguins fan which i know those are american teams but uh i will i I forbid myself to ever like the toronto maple leafs ever (laughs) and if i had to bet who John Walker would root for in the Stanley Cup finals, it would be the Toronto Maple Leafs. And that's very on brand for him. <laughs> but anyways, I, uh, I'm having a ball though. Uh, Vegas is a really fun team to follow. I've been following their goalie, Flurry, Marc-Andre Flurry, for quite a few years now, like 17 years. I've, like, we have hockey pools at school when I was younger. And you had to like, pick a team. And I picked Pittsburgh Penguins because their goalie's name was Flurry and it sounded like McFlurry. Mm-hmm. From McDonald's. And that was like, you know, sixteen, seventeen years ago. So now he's with Vegas and uh he just played like the game of his life last night. It was incredible. He saved like 30 shots. He was, yeah, he was amazing. And so yeah,
1: uh hockey. Didn't you tell me last night about somebody picking up a puck and like throwing it? Speaking of Ted Lasso, I said that's something that Roy Kent would do. Yes. If you've seen yes. Ted Lasso, you would get it. So
0: For context, uh, so I was watching the playoff games last night and Pittsburgh was playing and they were like in the last minute of the game and they were up one goal for anybody that doesn't know it's goals in hockey and they were going to pretty much win the game. They just have to run the clock out. And one of their players uh, named Rust, he was blocking a guy that was coming up the ice, you know, just minding his own business. And the guy shoots the puck, and I kid you not, he literally scooped the puck out of the air. He just grabbed the puck out of the air and then threw it back at this guy. (laughs) And for anybody that doesn't know, um, you cannot cannot grab a puck and throw it at a player. That is... That, was that is a penalty. <laughs> that is a penalty. So with a minute left in the game, they had to put this guy in the penalty box because he threw the puck back at the player. And it was like total instinct. Like the guy just did it out of instinct. But this other guy's just like, you know, trying, for, trying to score a goal and he gets a puck thrown at him. It was the most ridiculous thing I've watched. And yeah, anyways, there was a penalty. They ended up winning the game anyways, but I thought it was like the most insane thing I had watched in a while. So if you're sitting here wondering... What what should I watch right now? Just go watch hockey because you never know what you're gonna see. There's there's or a watch right. Watch Ted Lasso or Ted Lasso because Ted Lasso also has sports in it. it it's does. like all the great parts of soccer that I that I like because it's when sports and art combine. Soccer, hockey, we watch it all. Yeah, and now we're gonna talk about Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode four. This is a great segue, by the way, from sports. Yeah, I and think a so. And the <laughs> We are going to now talk about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode four, The Whole World is Watching. Yes, this was
1: also directed, you're, the whole series was directed by Kari Skoglund, and it was written by Derek Kulstad. Um The episode description, are you ready, is John Walker loses patience with Sam and Bucky as they learn more about Carly Morgenthau.
0: Loses patience is a polite term for it. It's more than polite. It's the forgiving. guy <laughs> is like straight up batshit crazy in this episode, and I yeah. like, and I say that in the nicest term because I don't know how to put it any worse. Like, there's not patience to be had anywhere with John Walker in this episode. No. But loses patience is a, is a nice way of saying that no one's gonna die in this episode. No one's gonna be brutally maimed mm-hmm. or this episode is interesting because it's almost like a bad omen all around that we started. The episode with the most devastating scene in the series, and then also ended it with one of the most devastating scenes in the series. Like the yeah, you're this right. ep- episode is bookended by two really horrible emotional scenes. Yeah, which is a lot. Even it's though
1: like, this first scene is like more optimistic,
0: it is in some ways. In other ways, it just breaks me. Um, we are talking about the opening scene, the Wakanda. We we go back to Wakanda uh, six years ago. To, six years ago, which I find interesting because six years ago would include I'm I'm I don't like getting into the timeline. Shelby knows this because I <laughs> I don't know when anything happens. But technically, that would be only one year after after Bucky was out of Wakanda because minus five years post Snap. Uh, right because there's like if it's six years it would really only be one year because of the snap right six years like that would mean that bucky has only been like free of the winter soldier program for like a year then minus the snap but that doesn't but that doesn't make sense (laughs) this is why we don't talk about the timeline
1: (laughs) but that doesn't make sense because he's fine well i guess
0: infinity war would have happened after that right and this is only a couple weeks after everything i believe a couple months so uh so (laughs) it could be so it could be six years or it could be one year or it could be anything we don't know
1: oh that really bothers me that i don't yeah i think i'm making it maybe too difficult
0: i for the sake of my own
1: sanity am gonna believe that if this is six years ago and if that means that he's only been free of the winter soldier program for a year then that means that this scene takes place i don't know like a few months before infinity war, whenever like T'Challa goes to get him out of the field and he's like, where's the fight? And then he like sees Steve again. And then Mm -hmm. the snap and then all of that. And then the five years and now we're here. Which again just makes it all the more depressing because Bucky is just lost all the time. And it makes me
0: sad. And
1: Sebastian is
0: too good at his job. Yeah, I think this I think this scene proves that. It is I mean it is like a very important scene. Having Io in Wakanda basically show us how they removed the winter the Winter Soldier program from Bucky is important. I understand why it wasn't included in the films. It, it probably would have seemed really out of context in the films, considering, you know, they didn't give Bucky more than like, three lines in any of the Avengers movies. So I think leaving this for the series was a really smart move. And taking us away from like the Falcon Winter Soldier plot to kind of just wrap this up and, and show us how this happened and what his relationship with Io is was really was really great. And uh, I I mean any time the trigger words come back into play is is interesting. You know, we had Zemo earlier in the season recite the trigger words to Bucky and he makes a comment about, you know, it doesn't bother him anymore. And it's nice to see the other side of that where this is like the first time he's hearing them um, as a free man mm-hmm. and he doesn't handle it very well you know he does he does ward against io even trying the trigger words because he doesn't think it's going to work because bucky loves to torture himself and thinks that he'll you know never be free from his trauma and yeah. but she goes through with it anyways and yeah and smash and stan gives this incredible performance as she goes through the words he just he slowly starts to break down And at first you think it's maybe because the trigger words are taking hold of Bucky again. Mm. And then there's this really devastating moment where you find out that she stops saying the trigger words and she tells him he's free. And he's still breaking down and he just like loses it and just becomes a sobbing mess. You can just like see
1: the like stages of, of like grief like pass over him, like losing that part of himself finally I mean, it's it'll always be a part of him because he'll remember. But, like, the fact that that is somewhat behind him and you just see all of that, like, come to the surface and Sebastian just lets it, just lets it out. He doesn't hold anything back. He could have made that so much more reserved because I think it's still so rare to see men perform that way on screen to to literally express emotion to to even that much emotion and to see sebastian just like give himself so fully to that scene with bucky knowing that bucky is this like super hardened like really masculine character and to know that he's had these emotions and it doesn't make him weaker because of it he's actually stronger that he's that he is this way. It was such a good moment. It's one of the standout moments for me of the whole show.
0: Yeah, if I look back on performances, this is definitely at the top of my list because it's just it's so jarring because I think even though we love Marvel and and we say it's cinema even when other people don't and and we we do high it at- we do hold it to a high standard these performances still really surprise you because you're you're not expecting that level of emotion especially when there's a lot of exterior um lore from from the movies coming into play you know we have the winter soldier program we have wakanda there's all these elements to it that yeah. could have bogged this scene down and it really wasn't like meant to be a showcase of bucky's you know emotional range at all but sebastian made it that and it was just it like was he has for like the
1: past 10 years in the moment. And this is could. just
0: another example of him doing literally everything with nothing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm glad that he went all in on this on this scene because this is such a crucial scene to Bucky's introduction into Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like now we kind of have an, an idea of where he was going into Infinity War. Yeah. And, and, and then the show, because really Infinity War, wherever we left him. no one that went out in the snap grew or anything so it's the same person from infinity war so to know that we're not that far out from from that scene and and from his fight is yeah it's it's heartbreaking in in many ways and it's to make us feel bittersweet about seeing him you know this is a big moment to see him kind of be removed from the winter soldier program and and to put that behind him, but it's not a happy scene there's you know, there's a lot of grief that comes with that, and mm-hmm. yeah, he's gotten rid of the programming, but he still has all of the memories and all of the actions that he did when he was the winter soldier, and then that's kind of like him realizing that he's going to have to now deal with that without the excuse of of this exterior thing he can't control so yeah, I just it was incredible, and again i I just get blown away because I think the actor could make the excuse and the show could make the excuse that Bucky is hard ass and he doesn't need to show emotions and I think this is a new wave of television where characters like him and like Roy Kent from Ted Lasso are allowed to be more than that yeah they're allowed to be men with emotions that you know cry and do get upset and yeah, I think it just makes these scenes 100% better, 100% more powerful. So, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: I agreed. I also like that this reconstructs like what we knew about his time in Wakanda because for the most part, um, because of the Black Panther, I think it's the Black Panther in credit scene. Like we know that Shuri was a part of his recovery, but we had no real context about anything else in his with his time there. And this like lets us know that I.O. was like a big part of his journey. And it's, it's not a lot like the scene isn't that isn't that long, but it gives us enough to know that there is an established relationship between these two characters that makes her arrival at the end of the last episode, all the more meaningful, like everything with her in this episode, it just makes, it makes the weight heavier, because, you know, that there is a past there with his time there since like the end of civil war, like he had to have come in contact with other people. And it makes sense that in this case it would be Io. I just think I just think this opener works so well. There's so many things about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier that like upset me. But
0: <laughs> I think that this is a really good scene. Yeah, I I was I was concerned um when we finished off Power Broker. We've established that that was not our favorite episode, and we didn't love the world building that took place over like the character development. So I was really concerned when Io showed up and she brought with her kind of all this Wakanda and the Dormelage. As much as those are awesome elements, there was already so many elements being juggled, and there was a concern that it was just gonna bog down the plot even more. And something like taking us completely out of the story should have been infuriating on top of that, but it wasn't because. This is like what we came here to see. This is what we wanted from this show. So the minute this scene happened, I was like, this is what this is what I wanted. And if it's, yeah. it's characters like Io that bring that out in Bucky, and you know, characters like Sarah that bring that out in Sam, then we need more of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad that they did give us that opener because I feel like just to jump into the conflict of, you know, Io wanting wanting Zemo. As we see in the next in the next scene, when she confronts him back in Prague, she lets Bucky know that they've come for Zemo. And and that would have been enough. We understand we've had it explained to us in the show multiple times and we've watched the movies. So we know what their relationship is with Zemo. He he king he killed King T'Chaka. And yeah, I would think they would want him. But it's nice to just have this scene that's for Bucky. And also for I.O. because she is very much in the same boat as Bucky. She got like one line in Civil War. Mm-hmm. She was supposed to have a character arc in Black Panther and it was left on the cutting room floor. So she's very much just been like a background player for a majority of movies. And so it's great to see her have lines and have a character and have an established relationship. Yeah,
1: I think it's interesting that you say that we're frustrated with episode three because it did a lot of world building at the expense of character development but this scene was able to balance both of them which makes me wonder why that couldn't happen in episode three if they can do it in this single scene what was stopping them from doing that before but I think that you're right about IO and how she becomes like a fuller character in, in this just this one scene and then later it, it becomes even more um, obvious I might be getting ahead of myself but I think that this might have something to do with the Disney plus series that we're eventually going to get that um, Ryan Kugler is developing. he's developing a Wakanda series. One could assume that it might be about the Dormelage because there is plenty to uncover there and to dig into and IO would be a, a cool lead for that show if they wanted to. Hmm. i
0: hope this wasn't a backdoor pilot i <laughs> I, I don't know <laughs> what if it was if it was it was the best backdoor pilot i've ever seen because those <laughs> things always go horribly uh for the sake of like the dora milaje and their you know the pride of, of wakanda and everything i hope that disney had the sense to already have a spinoff you know kind of in in place for them and not see this as like a gauging point for how we felt about them mm. Um, I hope that wasn't the case. It doesn't really feel like that was the case, but you never know. I really I really think that this episode is a good indication from the response, like the massive response that they received online over the Dora Milaje, and just how well the audience received them in this episode, that we need that spinoff like, ASAP. This just goes to show that there's a lot there that, yeah, we'd love to learn. And it doesn't necessarily have to be tied to Bucky. It's just oh yeah it's, no for sure no it's like it'd be great to revisit characters like io and, and shuri who have been the backbone of the black panther movies but have kind of you know had reasonably had to take a backseat to black panther and and all of that that comes with that so no i'm excited to see where this goes and i mean this is a pretty great scene in Prague with her as well you know it's it's a short scene but it's basically just her saying they came for, for Zemo. She does let Bucky know that she's not a fan of the hypothetical prison break. That may or may not have happened. Bucky's still pretty persistent on that. Which, which is reasonable, again, why Bucky thought it was okay to go and break Zemo out of prison after, you know, all that time in Wakanda with the people that literally gave him his metal arm. And he just goes and kind of betrays them like that.
1: He brings that up again later. I don't know when... I think it's like John says something. He's like, why did you break this guy to prison? And Bucky's like, well, he kind of did that himself. And I'm like, you're
0: so committed to this lie. <laughs> He's so committed to the hypothetical. He's afraid someone has a wire on them or something like Wakand- like Wakandans are going to arrest him or something for That's it. Which so funny. You know what? We don't know. They could have. They could have. Yeah, they could have. They had every right to. I almost really like Bucky because she she lets him off the hook slightly by saying he has eight hours to return Zemo to them or they're gonna come for him and he seems pretty chill about that uh, because you know apparently he's just chill with everything now so Bucky goes back off um to the I don't know what this is a hotel and air it's the fanciest Airbnb I've ever seen
1: I think this is one of Zemo's like locations I think this is a place that he owns probably
0: it's like got yeah pillars and tiles and massive stained glass windows it's i hope he's renting it out as an airbnb because it's it's gorgeous um he'd, he'd but he'd be like
1: the worst host because if you like left anything he anywhere, there with you that and if you like left anything anywhere he would like lose his mind that you like left um uh, like a mess in his place
0: there would be like a lot of a lot of drink carts in that place though <laughs> like, just sitting around yeah he, he's the type that he'd have like Four golden drink carts with just like <laughs> bottles of aged whiskey. Absolutely. Sitting out. Anyways, we uh return to this fancy Zemo palace uh just in time to see him getting out of the shower in a robe, which is, is it a makes lot. me
1: think of that story that Sebastian Stan told at that Entertainment Weekly <laughs> yeah. like round table thing where he like, uh, well, I'll make sure that we link it in the show notes, but Sebastian like did an incredible Daniel Bruhl impression. And said that he like caught Daniel fresh out of the steam room in an elevator where he had like fogged up all of the windows and it's so good. But this is what that reminds me of now because
0: (laughs) that's all I think of. It's like art imitating, yeah, life in this instance. (laughs) But I just love that, yeah, we just saw Zemo like murder a man in cold blood and he's just like living life up, taking hot showers, walking around his robe, just drinking all the all the bourbon he can and and sam does mention like that they're not okay with the murder uh which is important because i feel like that needs to be said at some point that they're not okay with him just going around murdering everybody in Prague and then chilling on the sofa for the rest of the day but anyways they do discuss this is a this is a big point throughout the episode but sam and zemo get into a debate over whether carly is redeemable um, because they are there to find the flag smashers sam's there to reason with them Zemo is 100% there to kill them, and they seem okay with that for the moment. I feel like they think they can stop him, which like the other episode should have suggested otherwise. But yeah, they have a discussion about whether Carly is redeemable, um, and it kind of spirals into a discussion about the super soldier serum and corruption. We get a really great parallel uh, between Sam and Steve from Civil War. Sam says that Carly is just a kid. Uh, this one kills me oh and we know that steve rogers also defended wanda in civil war after she accidentally blew up that building by saying she's just a kid she's just a kid i can't i cannot Uh, it's a it's a great parallel kind of setting up for for his captain america debut oh sam is perfect i just i this episode does a really good job of of demonstrating those those attributes
1: he's so good in this episode he wasn't last episode and this episode feels like like sam he feels like a fully realized human being with opinions and motives and tools and resources and life experience he feels like a character in a tv show that's named after him it's i really like him in this episode i'm so glad that they did what they did with him
0: yeah he's really well he's really set in like his ways in terms of moral compasses and to have someone like zemo in the room and to just talk with him about about things like the super soldier serum and corruption and radicalization it's really great to just have sam demonstrate his ideology and and really put zemo in his place i mean i don't know if i necessarily even agree with what zemo's saying you kind of just he's the fanciest guy in the room he he pretends like he knows the most but what he says about the super soldier serum corrupting radicalization in a way is true we've seen it and we're going to see it with walker um but yeah if you if bad is there it'll become worse and if there's good there it becomes better and we know this that doesn't necessarily mean someone like carly who yes has been radicalized would necessarily be corrupt I mean we see we're going to see throughout the series none of the other flag smashers are really they're not really corrupt. They don't yeah. they don't cross that line, but Zemo's kind of already there with it. He just he he wants Sam to believe that Carly is irredeemable and that she's already yeah, crossed that line with radicalization and she can't be brought back. And I don't know how much I believe that because we don't really see that with the other Flag Smashers. I have to point this out. We've never seen that with Bucky. I don't know why that part of the debate is never brought up. But like when they talk about corruption and and how the serum corrupts almost everybody that takes it. But Steve Rogers, Uh... because he's, you know, there's never been anyone like Steve Rogers, which I agree with. I just, yeah, you have Bucky standing right there who never technically has been corrupted by it. I mean, like Hydra corrupted him using it. But if he, you know, was removed from all the Hydra stuff, would he have been radicalized? I don't know, but he's fine maybe, now.
1: Yeah, maybe Zemo sees this serum as a as like a, a tool that made radicalizing Bucky into the the winter soldier.
0: Yeah. That's the only way I could think.
1: Yeah, maybe that's that, what they that's what he's insinuating is the fact that the super soldier serum just made it easier for someone to make of him what they wanted.
0: Yeah, that's how I took it. Because um, that's the only way that it makes sense. But yeah, I, it's interesting to kind of poke holes at Zemo's ideology and and you know what he thinks of why superheroes should be eradicated, why the super soldier serum should not be allowed to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very interesting, and and I like that Bucky's only contribute to this like conversation is just that they're talking about the Avengers and not Nazis. That was great.
1: Yeah. Um, well, he should know oh, about fighting Nazis as well. So
0: he should. I like that he he himself has to like say they're not with the Nazis because I feel like he's taking like responsibility or something with Hydra. I don't know, but it was, it was great. And, uh, yeah, this, the scene as a whole, Zemo was acting like incredibly weird. Like he's being a a straight up weirdo. Is this
1: the scene? Yeah. This is the scene when he has the cookie on his finger when he's like, there's no one else like Steve Rogers. And he's like waving on his finger and he has a little cookie on his finger. He's also like sipping on some cherry blossom tea. He's living his best life.
0: He is, and he he's got like those Turkish delights just like in the cupboard, and he yep. gives them to to Sam, and he he's being really weird about it and very yeah, coy. There's something going on. Very coy. I I feel like he's on a mission, but he's also flirting with everybody else in the room at the same time. <laughs> That's the only way I could think to because yeah, it's, it's he's very flirting seductive. with everyone. I don't know. The Turkish delight stuff was very seductive, especially towards <laughs> Sam. I don't. It's like. They had a heated debate, and now he's like, "Oh, okay, anyways, there's a lot of heat in that room, so we kind of take a break from them and we go over to the flag smashers now that we're on their turf, and we're gonna see uh, Carly kind of collide with Bucky and Sam later on in this episode. Um, we do get kind of caught up with what happened after she bombed the g r c building. There were multiple casualties. She doesn't seem like too concerned about that. The other flag smashers seem. Upset over that, um, but she's more kind of seeing it as the outcome was worth the victims that perished in the bombing, so she is in that way kind of thinking past um empathy at that point and really just thinking about the mission. Mm -hmm. So that's an indication of where she's going in terms of radicalization. Um, she does go to a graveyard and i guess that's where they've been stashing the soldier serums the super soldier serums so the serums are back in play which is an important part of this episode um but yeah she has like a whole bag of super soldier serum that she just puts in a fanny pack around her waist what? super super safe you know the only ones in the whole world but we'll super leave soldier the serum
1: pa- but make it fashion
0: it's super fashionable <laughs> and then we get this really fun in inter- Interaction between Carly and, and another flag smasher because every episode seems to focus on her and a different member of the team, which is kind of cool. We get to kind of know each one of them in separate episodes. It, it gets us attached in a way, I guess. This flag smasher that goes with her to the it's his grandfather's grave. Um, and the flag smasher's name is Nico. There's not really anything notable about Nico. He's he seems like a decent guy, you know. He's talking to Carly, but he goes on this big uh, speech about how his grandfather was uh you know a resistance fighter and world war ii and how he grew up a huge fan of captain america and i'm sure that's not like a an emotional plot point that won't come up later in the episode to absolutely wreck us no this guy just this guy just idolizes captain america and same bro i weirdly yeah i relate to that and i'm sure that we'll get to share in that through the series and that won't amount to anything horrible no um But he also kind of talks to Carly about his love for Captain America, but also how he thinks that she could kind of be Captain America, which is an interesting concept because I think Carly herself is a little bit radicalized, but his idea that like he didn't think there could be another Captain America until he met her, it makes sense because he's basically kind of echoing what we're going to see through the series of like, Steve was an amazing Captain America, but he's not really the Captain America of like our time now really like the Captain America we made na- now has to reflect the world we're in and has to reflect, you know, the flag smashers and the refugees and people of color and has to represent more than just a white guy in, you know, the war that was fighting Nazis at the time, you know, using Captain America as propaganda was like a huge thing and fighting the Nazis was the main part of, uh, you know, his job, it was a tool used. Now it's kind of like they need to shift gears. So I understand what he's saying about someone like Carly, because we really do need like a new face, someone who can represent multiple communities. So I can see how he would see that in her. But she's not down for it because she, I mean, she reasonably doesn't like superheroes and thinks that the shield should be destroyed. That shield has never been there to save her once in her life. So I understand both sides of the story and I get it
1: yeah the only thing that i remember like remember of the scene is because i recently watched this youtube video by one of my favorite youtubers his name is daniel j layton um he talked about his opinions on the falcon and the winter soldier and he pointed out how carly doesn't like really talk like a like a real person (laughs) like she doesn't like talk like somebody her age no she definitely doesn't talk like a 17 year old (laughs) maybe i want to believe that like maybe she's had to grow up fast because of the snap and because of the conditions she's been like thrown into and this role that she has this leadership role being as young as she is and all these people look to her but um now that i have that detail like pointed out to me that's all that i can like notice is how she doesn't like talk like somebody her age should speak i think like you said that the scene is really interesting because it it like opens up that dynamic between the flag smashers like you said it just it helps us try to see things from their perspective it's all flawed but i can i can see where they're coming from and i can see that like through line about captain america needing to to either be gone or to to evolve that comes full circle by
0: the time we get to the end of the episode yeah they represent two sides of this discussion that this episode is going to explore um and i mean, Carly wanting the shield destroyed is, is a very reasonable a reasonable point of view to have in her situation i mean we'll see as we go into this next scene here uh with sam bucky and zemo going to this refugee camp um which they don't call themselves refugees they're actually like misplaced individuals which i guess makes sense like if you if you survive the snap and we're living in a place for like five years and the government just kicked you out you're not really a refugee they just like they kicked you out, so you're misplaced. I understand that that term of it. Um, but Sam, Bucky, and Zemo go to this camp for misplaced individuals in Prague. And we kind of see more of what Carly was saying about the shield uh, reflected back at Sam. He's trying to get intel on where Donya Madani's funeral is going to be, which was a very close member uh, to Carly. She was kind of like her teacher and her mentor. So of course, Carly would probably be going to the funeral. So they're trying to figure out where this funeral is going to happen. And Sam is having no luck. He is going f- through each room and all these people are just scattering at the sight of him. And he thinks it's because they don't know who he is or they don't know that he's there to help or why, what the reason is that he's there. And one of the teachers stops him and lets him know that they do know who he is. And and they're not going to help him. And and they they do bring the GRC into it a little bit with the fact that the GRC is not sending any of the resources they promised. Shocker! But then on shocker, I know. (laughs) Like as we've seen throughout this, the GRC is kind of absent. Not the main and absent. Yeah, they're not even an antagonist because they don't even care to be involved in the in the plot or the discussion, which is infuriating and i hope i really do hope we see the grc and other other marvel projects because i think it reflects a lot of the issues we have in our own reality and yeah i think it would be nice to have that kind of go into especially if they're going to be the head of you know the the global repatriation of this yeah. world that was blipped then i would like to see them in other projects and i would like to see them maybe get the comeuppance that they deserve because yeah they're doing a horrible job this guy basically lets sam know that they're not really welcome he he basically says like we know who you are and we don't we aren't going to help you and um it makes sense because every time these avengers or superheroes go to foreign countries they kind of mess everything up and then just leave and don't really deal with the aftermath of it and this is another aftermath and i don't think they really need them there to make things worse at this point and so we're we're falling into this era of these other countries outside the u.s not really trusting people like the avengers or captain america and there's definitely more negative incondentations around these people especially falcon he's you know an avenger but they they still see him as similar to the grc in that respect
1: yeah i think that that mirrors the opening to last the last episode episode 3 when like john was outside of the united states and and people were not very receptive to captain america because if superheroes aren't as welcome as they used to be then it makes sense that just that the fact that there is tension outside of the united states with Superheroes. As much as I wish that this show took place more in America, since it is about the mantle of Captain America, and I would—that's a crazy
0: concept. What are you talking about, Shelby? Captain America in America? I don't know. I don't know if that'll work.
1: It doesn't because we spend the entire show outside of America until the very end. But yeah, I think that I think it's interesting that that those tensions are starting to like come to a head of superheroes outside of america so maybe they should just go back to america and let captain america and all of that settle there as it should have but i don't think that that's gonna happen
0: i mean maybe it will we are getting back to some of the more neighborhood superheroes uh with Spider-Man that's true and miss marvel and, and Kate Bishop. hawkeye yeah. so yeah i feel like we'll, we'll definitely be returning to american soil for a lot of these other projects that said i It would be neat at some point to explore, yeah, this building tension because there isn't really this like otherworldly, you know, disaster on the brink of happening that uh, is kind of pushing all that aside this time that really is just these superheroes are here and there's no place for them. I
1: I also find that interesting because I'm assuming that not all heroes are in America, not all all superheroes in America. So are there not superheroes in those countries that also exists, or is this just like an avengers thing because like i'm assuming the eternals whenever we see that is gonna have a larger impact because of you know space but moon Knight, whenever it comes around might be different as well but i'm just like wondering
0: i mean they definitely they definitely name drop the avengers like yeah. specifically which is fair because i'm assuming like in terms of logistics Prague and sokovia are close to each other Mm. because zemo gets there very quickly but then he does have a private jet so i really don't know that's true they're both europe in terms of that they specifically remember a time where a giant building was blown up with people inside of it by one of the avengers and then they remember where a giant you know city was destroyed like there was nothing left of it and the avengers were also involved so i mean that Mm. gets around and i think it it becomes like a they have a bad rep (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, they're not. They aren't getting. They aren't getting great scores from outside of the U.S. and th- and that comes down. <laughs> I think it just comes down to it's interesting. Like it's um, idolizing superheroes from our own countries. And and yeah. then when you know, and a lot of a lot of the Marvel stuff has been U.S. I mean, like all the agencies are U.S. agencies. So we really haven't seen like broader definitions of that. Yeah,
1: like Thor two takes place in the U.K., but that's like doesn't have anything to do with like the actual like I don't-
0: characters. I don't recall anything from the, I don't recall there being authoritarian. Obviously,
1: also obviously like Black Panther is an exception to this because
0: Well they're yeah, they're I mean Wakanda is just a separate entity altogether. And 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 there's a case where they do have superheroes that they idolize and they aren't they wouldn't be too keen on on just inviting like the entire you know, it took years of of relationship building for them to allow the Avengers to come That's to Wakanda. True. That's true.
1: Oh my god, I'm just realizing how like messy the (laughs) Avengers are and how no one wants anything to do with them. I'm kind of like intrigued.
0: Realizing how American the entire yeah, there's like no it's very like ethnocentric. Like, why are we not telling any other stories? Where are the British where are the British superheroes? Yeah. Yeah. I mean not that I want like Captain Canada or whatever. (laughs) I forget. We have a Captain Canada, I think, or Captain Canadian. I can't remember. Uh... Not that I want him to show up anytime soon, but um, no, I think. Well, no, no, that's not true. We do what? have Deadpool. Oh, but he lives in the U.S. So does that count? Because he just—I mean, technically, the X-Men Mansion is in Vancouver. It always has been, but in—in in the show, it's in the states, and he lives in the states. Fun times, fun times. This is what happens when Bucky and Sam go to Prague. <laughs> anyways the scene doesn't give us really a a whole lot other than they're just trying to find um the location of this Donya madani's funeral and pretty much no one's successful except zemo because he's a weirdo who knows how to just like get things out of people in other terms he knows to go to the children because the children can be easily bribed with money and or candy which is really smart on his part
1: I also think this is like a nod to the fact that he lost his son and that like he knows how to talk to children and he knows how to like approach Does them he and, know like, how
0: to talk to children cuz he I mean, starts the conversation by like singing a uh, like a really creepy song. I forgot to about them. that. I blocked that out. I forgot. <laughs> it just creeps me out so much. I forgot. I know I, I really hope he doesn't like sing th- I really hope he didn't sing that to his son every night cuz it might have given him nightmares, but I do I do get where you're coming from. He does know how to appeal to the younger Yeah children and he's, and a, he's he does, a dad he's a dad i mean really that's how we can describe his weirdo behavior in this episode is it's just dad vibes, <laughs> like a hot daddy dad. daddy vibes You no i don't like that <laughs> <laughs> anyways he has he brings along some turkish delights and yeah he bribes the kids and they end up telling him uh him being zemo of course he uses it as leverage and tells them not to tell anybody else and he basically is going to use that information to extort Sam and Bucky. We go back to like their fancy Airbnb Zemo's like palace thing. Sam and, and Bucky know something's up. They know that he got something out of these kids and he's trying to like extort them because he doesn't want the Dora Mil- he doesn't want to go with the Dora Melage, which is like, you know, fair. But they get into like yeah another conversation about Carly and and being motivated, you know. Sam believes that Carly is motivated by different things than Zemo, which is absolutely true. I think Carly is motivated by better better things than Zemo is personally, but she's just going about it kind of the same way he is. That said, a bunch of stuff is is said they find out that he knows the location and Bucky being the like, you know, fierce Winter Soldier that he is, Decides he's going to threaten Zemo by like running at him and then whipping his glass against the wall behind Zemo's head. It's all very like he doesn't break eye contact with him the entire time he does it. It's very hot. It's very, it's a lot. And then he, like
1: without like a like a beat passes, and Zemo's like, Do you want some cherry blossom tea? And Bucky's like, No, I'm good. <laughs> and it's yeah, so and Bucky says it's so funny. cheerful.
0: Like, he's just, yeah, the, oh, the delivery of those lines back to back. And even, like, even, like, Sam's little, like, Bucky goes to, you know, take it further with the eye contact. And Sam interrupts and he's like, you know, he's just going to, like, extort you and do that stupid little head tilt thing. And and Zemo just kind (laughs) of looks like, damn, you figured me out. Like, it's just, it's so good. (laughs) There's so much happening. It's all very hot and very funny. (laughs) And I appreciate all of it. It's a very important plot to this episode. I would it's... not want it replaced with more important scenes. No. We all we also get like this weird moment at the end of the scene uh before they go to find because Zemo has agreed to take them to the funeral, but they have to bring him with, with them. And so before that happens, uh Sam, who's been in contact with Sharon throughout the episode, calls her for another favor. I can't because that's what you should do when you've like wronged a woman like four (laughs) times in a row you know and left her in in a random criminal city for like five years you should call her and ask for another favor Mm -hmm. and, and totally not be concerned when she just does it like they just expect her to do do it at this point but he asks her to track the camp um with satellites and sharon says sure why not because i'm totally not doing anything else at the moment and uh then she like this is this part's really weird. She gives him an update on manjapur And I just I don't know what it is with manjapur but everything that comes out of that that damn city is just insane to me. Like she's going on, she seriously says to him, like, the you took out the golden goose and now manjapur is mad and the power broker wants the serum back. Like she's talking about these things. I'm assuming the golden goose is that Selby lady.
1: No, I don't think that's it. I think I, it, they're, I think they're is. talking
0: about Nagel. Nagel yeah but it's like we've never heard that term before and all those terms thrown in at once sounded just absolute like batshit to me like it just didn't Mm. (laughs) it sounded crazy coming out of her mouth
1: yeah I didn't really I don't I don't really care about the Magipore stuff I was just like more annoyed like you
0: said that we're only calling Sharon when we need favors so uh yeah so they're on their way to their funeral on the way to this funeral and lo and behold We don't even see him. We hear him first. And I feel like hearing John Walker's voice come on screen before him is even worse. Because it's just like, It's just so annoying and it just makes it like (laughs) ten times more because you know what's coming. This makes me think have you watched the assembled episode? I did, yeah. Okay. This makes me think of
1: that blooper where like Sebastian was like, You found (laughs) us, John, (laughs) or whatever he says.
0: Like they're like, you know, nowhere near each other. They're on opposite sides of the staircase, power walking towards each (laughs) other. And Bucky Bucky like yells over to him and yeah John's just you know yelling at them, like, What did you do from across this you know it's totally not a private conversation. There are a lot of people around, but they're like yelling as they power walk across a set of stairs <laughs> to each other, and then Walker gets really close because he just doesn't know personal space at this point and and Sam makes he says sam says like this weird line like take it easy before it gets weird, which is just like such a Sam line to me, and yeah. This, this episode has a lot of weird things like that that I think are really funny. But um, they talk briefly about the fact that, you know, Zemo was standing beside them and he's supposed to be in prison. And like you said, Bucky really clings to that whole hypothetical prison break. He's, he tells them that he did it himself technically, which, sure, put the blame on Zemo. Like, why not? He'll take um, it. And then we get like a really interesting conversation because essentially john walker knows that they're going to go intercept carly and he just wants to you know do the reasonable thing and storm the building and maybe these flag smashers won't all immediately run away and cause a mass panic Mm. um and sam has the way more delusional plan to just go and talk to her like a human being yeah yeah see if he can reason with her because you know she is a person Mm -hmm. um I'm assuming Walker is not okay with it. He's yelling a lot and like who knows with him. But it's really interesting because the actual voice of reason in this scene is Lamar. It's actually Lamar that says that they should take Sam's side in this and and let him try to talk Carly down before they go in.
1: Yeah, this is like the first time that he's like strayed from John's decision, right?
0: Yeah, it's like the first time we're, we're really seeing him not mimic whatever john is saying so that was really interesting and 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 like john walker immediately listens to him Mm. um reluctantly uh, but he does listen to him. So yeah, they go into this other so building that looks a lot like the camp, but is a different building. It's really hard to tell in Prague. A lot of the buildings look the same, but they go into this this building where the funeral is being held. And so reluctantly, Lamar and Walker stay outside. Bucky stands guard at the door. I love that Bucky stands guard at the door because he does. he's like,
1: you're not going in. You're not messing up my friend's plan.
0: No, no. I love that. I love that yeah, Bucky uses his like super soldier strength to just be like, No, you're not getting through me. And and Walker will try throughout this episode to use Sam against Bucky, which I can't yeah. tell if that's a smart thing to do or not, because it does end up working. But the first time out on the staircase, when he says to him, like, do you really want your partner to go in by himself? And Bucky just like strips says, First of all, he's not my partner, and second of all, I trust him, which is that's you huge. Know, that's- That's huge for them like that's that's huge and they brush it off so easily but they trust each other they trust each other they trust each other so that's that's really big and yeah Bucky doesn't have he never once there's never a time where he contradicts anything Sam is saying like he Mm -mm. even if he I don't think if he even if he didn't agree with Sam in that moment. Which what would you not agree with him on, but still I think yeah. he trusts him enough that he would he wouldn't intervene. Yeah. And um so yeah, he stands he stands guard and Walker puts Zemo in handcuffs because he's kinda kinky, I guess. I don't Stop know. Stop it. <laughs> I mean Zemo Stop literally it. Zemo literally says aggressive, but I get it. <laughs> like that's not like out of context <laughs> a very kinky thing to say with i can't yeah, it's just I. you're yeah, making episode, everything in this episode like i'm not sexual. making everything erotic and sexual are you blaming daniel brule
1: is are you saying this is his fault yeah have you seen that man
0: stare at it of course i have on the show he makes everything look sexual and erotic i, can't. I mean that He just makes John, like, John Walker's handcuffing him to a boiler, and he's just making it, like, excessively sexual for no reason. But anyways, he calls him aggressive, and we'll move on from that. Walker, I will say, before we go into the scene with Sam and Carly, Walker is acting really weird, too. And I don't mean that in, like, the kind of, like, you know, fun, weird way that Zemo is I've seen plenty of people talk about this online too.
1: I think this is because the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is trying maybe to say that John Walker is someone who suffers from PTSD, but they don't do the work to show us that that is the case. Whereas like, I'm sure if you're a Marvel fan and you're listening to this podcast, you've seen like the show Punisher on Netflix. Um, That's heavily about PTSD and Marvel's dealt with that with like Bucky. But I think that maybe they're trying to say that about John and maybe that's why he's acting the way he is. But I don't know. It's very odd. It's a weird choice because, like I said, they
0: haven't really backed it up with anything. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It's It came off, like, I don't think I noticed it the first time because... I did. The first, I think the first time through, though, I was just so, like, out to make him a villain from the start mm-hmm. that I wasn't really picking up on, like, the things he was actually doing, like, the small things in the moment. And a couple of rewatches found it really weird that he had not taken the serum yet, and he's acting... Like there's even like a part before Sam goes in to talk to Carly where like he has to turn and he has to like put his mask down on his head and just take like this really long breath. Yeah. Which is what he does when he has the serum because he can't get his anger under control. So it's really weird because obviously his anger issues, but there's nothing really setting him off massively, other yeah. than like Lamar backing Sam up. But he was kind of in control on the street. And then by the time they get into the boiler room, he's just completely like unhinged already and they haven't even got to the conflict of the scene so it was just really off-putting for me and i don't know if that's just a byproduct of them like walker has a really a really solid arc at least the first part the antagonist part of his arc Mm -hmm. but it's still being done over the course of like four episodes so it has to go from like good guy to slight antagonists to full-on antagonists by the end of this episode that's a lot to fill in so i feel like they're just upping like his anger and his hysteria and it almost makes it look like he has like yeah something he's fighting externally like on a more serious mental health note i do think there's something there like trauma or something undiagnosed like adhd or something where he mm. just can't process sitting still for long periods of time because even the idea of having to sit out in that hallway just like makes him so
1: then why didn't they do why didn't they tell us anything because it just looks so out of place and bizarre it does. In that scene it was weird it's very noticeable because the camera is in his face but like the show never comments on it like most things on the fact it, it
0: makes sense after the serum but it just it doesn't yeah, make not sense before now.
1: because they didn't tell us anything
0: and i guess like i think it. i can chalk it up to like him being so unhinged because his first mission as captain america is like going completely off the rails and he's not making the decisions like the guy that's supposed to be captain america is making the decisions mm. and your partner who's supposed to have your back just agreed with him that's I not understand. enough <laughs> it's but it's not enough for him to go from like one to like a hundred yeah We move on from that really weird scene to what might be one of my most underrated scenes, like favorite underrated scenes of the series. For sure. It's like the standout scene for Sam, because we really haven't seen a lot of Sam. (laughs) And when he's on the street with Walker, he reminds him that he actually did counsel soldiers for trauma, which we know because we've seen it in Winter Soldier. It was a huge stepping stone in his relationship with Steve Rogers and a lot of people think that when Steve sits in on his counseling it's the moment that Steve decides that he's going to give the shield to Sam one day and so that's a huge yeah a lot of people think like the way he just looks at him in that scene is kind of like a turning point in terms of how he sees Sam um it was kind of interesting it's just reading into it right there's no actual logistics there but it's a nice sentiment to think that steve rogers saw him counseling these other soldiers um that have trauma and and saw parts of himself and parts of you know the mantle and sam in that moment none of the movies or even the series have mentioned that since so it was kind of like a, a really like huge moment to cheer when he said that to walker because it's like yes he can counsel people. He is good at this. This is his job. When he said, like, I need to go in and be the one to talk to Carly, it made total sense. And it was nice to have that reminder. But basically, this scene is just those skills on full display, um, starting with the wonderful decision to have him kind of go up on the balcony over the window and make eye contact with Carly while she's giving, you know, her eulogy for Mama Donya they make eye contact and she kind of freaks out and he just sits there he doesn't make any movements yeah and it lets her know that he you know he's not approaching he's letting her finish the funeral and pay her respects and everything we should
1: also note he doesn't have his wings
0: he's yeah john walker's in like full captain America suit because he never takes that thing off but sam is just like in his civilian clothes he's He's like coming to her as sam wilson not the falcon yeah, he's, I mean, from the start, like, he's he's not threatening in any way. He never, yeah, makes her feel at ease that she needs to run.
1: I think it's nice that he lets her grieve because earlier in the episode, like, he talked about how, or is this later, when he talked about his, like, T.T., his, like, yeah. aunt or whatever that, like, passed away. <laughs> Bucky's like, your are T.T.? <laughs> Buggy's
0: Bucky's not over that he's still not over
1: that <laughs> but i think it's sweet that that sam gives her that space
0: yeah it's just like a sensible thing to do that we know the other people It's empathetic kind thing to do and i think i like, get parallels again what nico was saying earlier about needing someone um that understood them to hold the shield Mm -hmm. who understood their pain and like this is a literally a scene where they're showing us that sam understands her pain and he at least understands her fight and why she's doing this and yeah anyways he does he does approach her after the the funeral and i think at this point carly knows that he's just he's just there to talk but yeah they do have a conversation just about he's trying to appeal to her sadness and her hopelessness of you know being one of these forgotten people and which which is fair because you know he has to announce he's the Falcon everywhere he goes because people forget about his contributions mm-hmm. as, the, as an Avenger. And um, she talks about, you know, it's necessary to kill people that get in the way. And and he has a really good line about, it's not a better place if you're killing people. It's just different. Yeah. Which is so important, such an important line. And it's not even like his only line. It's just, it's, it's a really good line. And there's a part, I think where he also says, I agree with your fight. I just can't agree with the way you're fighting which again, he's trying to appeal to her. He really, he definitely does try to push the darker parts of her out so that he can point them out to her. Yeah, because doesn't he say like,
1: I don't know if he says Zemo, but he says like some people may think that you're a supremacist and she's like, no, I'm like fighting supremacy. Like I'm not a supremacist because Mm -hmm. he's trying to pull that out of her.
0: Um, I think it's important to note that while Walker is absolutely losing his mind out in the hallway, Sam has his hands in his pocket. And he has his posture kind of slouched, and he has Carly feeling so safe that she jumps up onto the countertop and puts her hands in her lap just to talk to him. Like she doesn't yeah. feel threatened in any way. He keeps his hands in his pocket like the <laughs> entire time.
1: I love Sam Wilson so much.
0: He's just so, he's I love so, him. this is such an important scene for him because I think for me, this was like, it's not that I needed a reason to think that he was Captain America, but I needed, I needed more just for my own, like, so I could just, like, you know, love him as much as I love Steve Rogers. And I think this was a really important scene for that because it really did bring out, like, the human part of him, the non-Falcon side of him. It's a culmination
1: of, like, so many things that make Sam great.
0: I think Mackie did a really incredible job of of taking the dialogue and doing so much with it Mm -hmm. in a different way from what I think Sebastian Stan did at the beginning of the episode. So it's just... It was a really good scene. It's it's sad that it has to come to an end, but we kind of know it's coming to an end because out in the hallway, Walker is again just like absolutely losing it. Like he is on the brink of like weird. Why? Why is he losing his patience?
1: i don't know like, like he's he gotta just, like sam and him made a deal that sam was gonna go in for a certain amount of time and talk to carly and then walker could like do whatever he needed to do or whatever and he's just like losing it for no reason it's just, i don't get it i don't get it I he just, hasn't taken the serum yet it doesn't make
0: sense he's breathing like really heavy and he can't <laughs> even sit still and it just makes me wonder like was he ever suited for battle we got this whole sermon about how he was like so suited for battle and yeah oh my god yeah and i mean like he served it's not like he didn't he served and he got like, like did- medals of honor so he did something yeah. but like i guess this is just the first time that he's a- never been like the like you the know, top leader. dog yeah like, like the, the guy the guy kicking down the door going in yeah. first you know, the the captain leading everybody on the field. Like, Sam had to be the one to go in first. And I don't think that sat well with him. And I think that's where this reaction is kind of coming from. But I don't know how a professional sat there and said, this man mm-hmm. is not only suited for battle, but suited to be Captain America. I think this is just a combination of them seeing the warrior and, and um, John Walker and not seeing the counselor, you know? Yeah. He does, again, bring up to Bucky that, you know, does he want Sam's blood on his hands? And we never really actually see Bucky's response, but Walker does barge into the room, like, two minutes later, so it's insinuated that Bucky gives in to that. He,
1: he, like, says that. He, like, asks him if he's okay with Sam's blood being on his hands, but there's no... Like sound in the room to like trigger Walker to think that there's something going
0: on where Sam's life would be in danger. I think to try and put reason with what Walker's doing is hard because he's not necessarily a character to be reasoned with. Yeah, I don't know how much of it to read into, but anyways, he says something to Bucky. First of all, he's like obsessed with Bucky's like super soldier serum thing, which like again, the dude did not take it willingly. He fell out of a train, fell like 200 feet almost died and had his arm chopped off and yeah he wasn't like willingly given the serum so walker bursts into the room and shockingly carly and zemo both escape john walker does something incredibly stupid and then bucky gets to do this really cool stair climb to chase after carly which i love whenever like bucky gets to do cool super soldier things especially like As much as I'm not a huge fan of Civil War in general, that scene where he, like, fights everybody in the stairwell, just kind of, like, gave me those vibes. Yeah. Yeah, Zemo's, like, off somewhere. We don't know where he is. This is a very elaborate building. It's like like a maze. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, rooms and staircases and people just, like, chilling, using themselves as, like, human shields. Somehow Carly gets in this boiler room. There's a lot of boilers in this, this building. Um, exposed boilers, but she it gets seems in like this... a safety hazard. It does. It does. I feel like there <laughs> should be that many just sitting around. <laughs> Carly's in this weird boiler room, and she gets shot at. And somewhere in the chaos, uh, she drops surpri- Surprisingly, drops the super soldier serums in her little fanny bag pouch. <laughs> you know, we're so shocked about that because that was such a secure, uh, a secure way she's she had kid. that she is she is a kid see yeah. this is a this is this is a thing where the words might not say it but the actions do she put them in a <laughs> fanny pack which is a very on-trend thing for her to do um but the super soldier serums like spray out all over the floor zemo's still shooting at her um then nico comes in and save and kind of gets her out of there before he can kill her mm-hmm. and then zemo decides you know because he doesn't want super soldiers he's going to just like destroy all the super soldier serums
1: but um, one ugh.
0: like zemo do your job you didn't even do it well enough you got yeah. all of them but one yeah how's he just gonna like forget that
1: when that's his whole if that's a whole end end game is to just make sure there's no super soldiers and then he's just yeah like forget. you just
0: you needed to try harder there ban do better I will say, though, like, the way John Walker takes him out in this scene, I know that Steve used his shield to hit people. Like, he, especially in that first opening, like, Winter Soldier Lemarian Star scene, he uses Mm -hmm. it quite a bit to ricochet off of people. John Walker just has this way of, like, hitting people with it that just makes it so much more violent. He definitely, like, weaponizes it more than Steve ever did. But just straight up throwing this thing full speed at Zemo's head...
1: And hitting mm-hmm. him like
0: in the temple, just yeah, it was really violent. I don't know if there's like, it just, it really, little things like that are jarring. Yeah. Because we know they're not the same people. Obviously, Steve Rogers and John Walker are nowhere near the same people, but little things like that with like the shield just kind of freak me out to see. I do like that it, that it means
1: that it cuts to Zemo like laying on a couch with like a warm <laughs> rag over his
0: eyes. That's true. That's true. That's pretty good. Yeah. He, you know, because he deserves it for all the great work he did not destroying (laughs) all the super soldiers' theorems. Before we go to Zemo on the couch nursing his wounds, uh, we do get a quick thing of the Flag Smashers. They they regroup somewhere in the camp and uh, they barely know John Walker, but they've decided that they already want to kill him. It's almost like they can tell that he's a threat. And just like a garbage human being. So... I'm definitely down you don't want to root for anybody to die but if (laughs) the flag smashers want to kill Captain America who are we to stop them anyways we do go back to the fancy Zemo palace and he is nursing his probably massive headache on the couch with a glass of bourbon again because I'm pretty sure that man should be drunk by now with how many drinks he's had today maybe that's why he forgot to to he forgot
1: (laughs) one of the so like the super soldier serums is because he was drunk
0: he's just (laughs) drunk that's funny he would be so much more successful if he just wasn't day drinking all the time but what's where's the fun in that if you're zemo you're gonna day drink it's just it's part of the aesthetic we get another conversation with Zemo and Sam. I feel like we get a lot of that. This episode is like the third conversation they've had um, about wiping out it, the super soldiers. Yeah, I think it's just because they both have such like different radically different
1: perspectives. Use.
0: And I I really applaud Sam because, I mean, like this episode definitely puts him on a pedestal and, and lets him shine. And, and his counseling and his ideology and his um, moral compass. Mm-hmm. But... Literally, this entire episode, I swear, is just devoted to Sam Wilson tearing apart every argument these misguided, delusional men make. And it's, it's great. Like, he's just his entire job is to just tell John Walker and Zemo that they're problematic. Bucky does come into the scene, and he immediately calls Walker crazy. Like, a massive red flag. That's, like, a really obvious
1: red flag, whereas, <laughs> like, the one from episode two, whenever, like, lamar says you can't punch your way out of situations anymore it's like a subtle red flag
0: yeah but they're all there to tell you to not trust this man and it's it's kind of it's kind of nice as as someone that very biasly hated him from the start and was just like looking for reasons for him to not be like a good person to finally just have bucky be like no that dude is straight up like crazy i think he says something like i know crazy when i see one which like Sure, but yeah, he says
1: like I'm crazy, so I know what I'm talking about or something.
0: Yeah. Um, but I remember kind of like not laughing at that line, but almost being like getting chills from that line just mm. because it was like, Ooh, ooh, that ooh, that's not good.
1: Yeah, I don't want him to see himself as something that's comparable to John Walker.
0: I don't want that. Yeah. And we don't even get to like simmer in that because then crazy bursts through the door because of it seems to be what he's doing today. Walker's just bursting through every door, and now he's demanding Zemo, which is insane to me because he's had Zemo all day and he had the opportunity to take Zemo when the super soldier serums were being crushed and didn't. And now they also he had him in.
1: handcuffed
0: earlier, and now all of a sudden Walker wants Zemo. So, and, and Sam does make a point of first of all, Sam Walker comes into this room very hot and yelling and demanding a lot of stuff. And Sam has a really great line. He says shield or no shield. The only thing you're running in here is your mouth, mm-hmm. which I just Sam has a lot of good lines in this episode, but you that really one like is that so one. great. Yeah, I love you talk that about one. I that you know. one a lot. <laughs> That's not good if you're telling me that, but I do <laughs> I, I do need to like get one of those like fancy logo, you know, like prints for the wall that just has yeah. that line, but in like scripture with flowers, so it looks like all pretty. <laughs> sam has this great line but he also does say to walker um that you know they know he just wants zemo because zemo has like the information on the flag smashers and everything walker takes it up a notch by demanding that sam fight him which totally a a sane move to make that that screams sane to me that you would go from that to okay i'm gonna fight you and he like even drops his shield like oh i'll make it a fair fight which boy don't I will say before the Dora Milaje break in, I did not watch Lamar in this scene at all because there's a lot happening. And in the last rewatch, I for some reason watched Lamar while Walker is doing all this, Mm -hmm. and it's like a completely different person. Like Lamar is genuinely concerned. He's like very disgusted, almost too, at what at what Walker just said to Sam about the fight, like wanting to fight him. But he genuinely is just looking at his friend with utter confusion interesting.
1: and concern. I didn't notice that
0: either. I didn't until like the last rewatch because you're not really watching Lamar. At this no. point, we've kind of moved on from watching Lamar because he does agree with majority of what Walker's saying. And so, yeah, it was like he was straight up like deeply concerned for his friend. And I found that interesting. It's kind of the first time we've, we've seen again of, of Lamar contradicting what Walker is saying. But anyways, none of that matters because the dora milaje have arrived and they have they have the dopest entrance they come bursting in and immediately io comes up to walker who has the audacity to introduce himself as captain america but then she says she's going to take zemo and john does something even more stupid he touches her and basically never put your hands on a woman never Put your hands on a woman and definitely don't put your hands on the Dora Milaje. Yeah. They're royalty. He gets kind of what's coming to him because she kind of just decides she makes the conclusion in that moment that she's going to have to beat his ass. It's such oh, a good action sequence. This Dora Milaje John Walker fight might just be like in my top 5 like fights of all of Marvel. Nah. Um Wow. Yeah, I think so. I really love it. I do. It's got like great hand-to-hand combat. I remember when this episode aired, especially the crap he was doing before this, this scene, I just wanted someone to look him in the eye and be like, I'm going to beat the shit out of you because mm. I'm sick of you talking. And so when she just looked at him, I was like, okay, we're going to fight. I just, yeah, I appreciated that because I just needed that to happen.
1: Also, we saw him find the serum, but we know that he hasn't taken it yet because he doesn't win this fight. So it's the fact that he lost to the Dora Milaje, that was the final blow to his ego that he had to take the serum, which is hilarious to me because did he ever think, even probably with the serum, that he would have beat the Dora Milaje? Because he wouldn't.
0: And this scene, I mean, this fight escalates very quickly because... He is clearly not equipped to fight them, but they don't really care. And the dormrmelageager are just escalating the situation more and more as he fights back. um it is it is point to note that they don't really go for the death kill with anyone else in this room. Like, they're straight up, like, going for like if john dies in this they don't really care they're definitely going a little bit harder with him than everybody else like lamar they throw over like a table and they're not really like ser- even sam gets in the fight at one point and i don't not get really- this i
1: don't know why sam and bucky had to join this fight i don't know why sam turns to bucky and is like well we gotta help because no you don't like you know i mean i guess sam is like a noble person and wants to help people in nature but like they don't need to intervene
0: like just let the dora Milaje do what they want there because- is a good chance though that if the dora Milaje continued they probably would have just killed john walker which fine by me but i yeah, guess who, who cares this not great that's true um my favorite
1: part of the scene is when
0: <laughs> do you know what i was know what you're
1: saying because fair- <laughs> it's my favorite part <laughs> so when bucky looks at him and goes he looks at him He's- and says looking strong john
0: <laughs> oh my gosh okay yeah Bucky's looking strong, John, is a whole vibe, and I love it so much. Like just the, the the fact that Sam's like Bucky you really should help. And he thinks helping is like just shouting encouragements at John Walker while he completely just gets his ass kicked. Like totally so fake. funny to me. Yeah, it's so good. It's so petty. I love it. And then like Sam's visible like frustration with him. <laughs> like, no, that's not what I meant. But uh- it does help bucky eventually join the fight and he's totally not in it um but that escalates and then we get this really interesting really cool moment where i was just had enough of bucky and she like hits this pressure point in his arm and basically pops his metal arm off and i remember watching that the first time and it was just like oh damn she did that it's a power move for sure
1: yeah, I've, I have, like, one opinion about this scene, and then after I, like, went on Twitter and, like, was reading what other people were saying about it, I, like, had a fuller opinion of the scene. My first impression was that, like, she was obviously, like, disabling Bucky's arm because she didn't want him in the fight anymore. And, like, I, I wasn't really, like, concerned with that. I didn't, like, think about that part of it. I thought more about of just, like, Bucky and his face because Sebastian and his face. He's so good. um, But i like thought that bucky was thinking maybe he was like they never trusted him like if if they had this like fail safe on him why did they like let him go like i thought he he looked really disappointed in himself and like the growth that he's made like he, i feel like he took a few steps back but then i was like reading things online and people were also saying that this is like like you said like a power move on the part of io and like the dora milaje because that's them saying like well. You're fighting with with vir- like vibranium. Like this is your vibranium arm, which is ours. We made this for you and we can take this back and we can disable this whenever we want. I mean, they're fair to, to have that fail safe on his arm because Bucky was an assassin for like as long as he was. And I don't think that it's unheard of to think that there should be a safety net on a device that could be used to harm people especially when it's made with their vibranium i just think Mm -hmm. that there's a lot going on in that scene because it could it it can be a moment of bucky doubting himself and it can also be a moment of the door being able to say this is ours and we can take it back whenever we want to And I think the same could be said about the shield whenever the the fight sequence ends with Midor Melage holding the shield.
0: Yeah, I love whoever made the decision in the scene because it's not something we really are thinking about. We're not thinking about the connection in that moment between the arm and the Wakandans and, and Shuri. And it's just like it's... It's not something we're expecting. So when she pops that arm off, it really is like a shocking moment. But it's all the things that come after the subcontext that you read into. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they have every right. I mean, they have every right not to trust anybody with their technology and, and their their tech. I mean, the shield is, is a case where, where their vibranium got in the wrong hands yeah. and then eventually led down the line to going to shield. And Howard Stark used it to build the shield. And and there's a case where they had no control over over that shield being made with their vibranium, and they do technically own it. And it was pretty awesome that they made that point at the end of you know giving it back to John Walker, but letting him know that it wasn't his. Yeah. And and which is great because he said he was you know property of the government like two episodes ago. So I, I needed exactly. to, to just be like, no, that's not yours. Um, But yeah, the arm, I think it was just a great power move on their part in in saying like, you know, yes, we're gifting you this arm and yes, we trust you in the moment. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a level of like, it's the winter soldier and you're giving this guy his metal arm back. You don't know how many years down the line where that metal arm is going to end up. And it's it would it would make sense that these Wakandans who have such advanced technology would of course have a fail safe yeah for those kinds of things and I I think that was such an important detail that I would have never thought to have in there Eric Levin that the VFX supervisor on Marvel Marvel Studios uh, that did the Falcon Winter Soldier he actually did an episode um, he did like a YouTube video with Marvel kind of walking through this scene and how it was done and how bucky's arm is kind of made for tv Um, because they do have a rubber arm and they also have a vfx arm that they kind of substitute in so the majority of the time 30 percent of the time it's the rubber arm but majority of the time it's this digital arm that they put in afterwards Um, but for this specific scene i guess they actually had like a, a practical metal arm made so that they could drop it off camera so it would clatter onto the floor so they could kind of get a shot of it and know the camera operators could know how to line up the shot um which we've seen from instagram because i think sebastian stan posted a bunch of photos of him hugging that arm yeah set. I think
1: with his stunt double
0: yeah like a baby he was like yeah. holding his arm like a baby <laughs> so that's like that's the practical metal arm um And then there's a part, I guess, where when he picks up the arm, the detached arm, he actually has his real arm behind his back in the scene. And then they just kind of like edit out his hand. Um, And then he has to click the, the arm back into his sleeve and they actually put magnets in his sleeve so that when he puts the arm on on his shoulder it kind of clicks in so it looks like it's going back into its socket but it's actually magnets on the shirt so i thought that was kind of cool but that's on that'll be marvel studios uh their youtube channel they did it's also on instagram as well uh with eric levin and it's a really cool video walks through the scene as well as how they do bucky's special effects with his arm and yeah i found it really, really cool well all this crazy dora Milaje, john walker you know Fight Club stuff is happening, battle to the death. Um Zemo of course, to no one's surprise, uses the opportunity to escape again. I think this is like the fifth time. I feel like he's just he was just doing it to show them that he could like escape, you know, all those times before so that when he actually escaped you know, it would be on them and they would feel like idiots, <laughs> but uh, there just happens to be like a hole in the bathroom that he escapes into, like, I assume a sewer system. I think Sam makes a reference to, like, you know, it being surprising and Bucky's like, it's not surprising at all. It really shouldn't be surprising. He's yeah, he has flipped through their fingers multiple times. Um, but anyways, Zemo is gone, and the Dormelage are not too happy with Bucky and uh that's kind of their cue to exit and go deal with that and hopefully this isn't the last we see of them, kind of the same as isaiah bradley i I hope this show utilizes them a little bit more because they deserve their own spinoff for sure, but they've definitely elevated this episode and just the generally like the series with this one scene because mm-hmm. they they bring in the aspects of the the world building, like you said, um, but they're just such interesting characters. Yeah. Agreed. So we move on to two scenes that are kind of, they're important to the big, setting up the big end fight. So the first conversation that we get is between Walker and Lamar uh, at, at an airport table. And they're discussing the super soldier serum because Walker has it in his back pocket and is debating <laughs> whether or not to take it. Um, it's surprising because Walker's actually not 100% sold on taking it, or I think he just needs someone to agree with him to take it. I, I don't know if he just Which needs is his ego.
1: what Lamar is always there for.
0: <laughs> yeah, but he's definitely showing more doubt than he ever has in, in terms of his role as Captain America and-, and what the right path is. And I think this is the only scene where I do see that redemption or at least see like part of him that's human which yeah. is insane because we got like the complete opposite in the scene before this. But this is probably the most I would ever I think in the entire series I connect with him because there are moments in this where um he's being very honest about what they did to earn their medal of valor's and he does say that what they did over in the war wasn't exactly right. And it's the first time he kind of talks about his line of work and also his hero moments in a negative light yeah he he doesn't seem proud of them he doesn't seem proud of what he's done and it kind of makes me understand why he needs captain america to be this good thing even though he's making it a worse thing for everybody but he needs captain america to be like the right thing because what he did up until now hasn't exactly been worthy of captain america and that's interesting it's almost like he needs
1: captain america to like repent for what he he did which, but then
0: he's not as a person willing to change, so he's just yeah bringing the same tactics into the Captain America role. Exactly, but he thinks because it's Captain America. I think he's he thinks changed. that like yeah, I think he thinks that
1: the mantle of Captain America will change him as a person, but it's not that easy. Like you have to do yeah. the work.
0: <laughs> and Lamar, this is an opportunity where like the confusion and the concern that we've seen Lamar show throughout this episode could come through it doesn't um <laughs> he does just tell walker that if he had the chance to take the serum it's not the same as sam wilson sam wilson earlier in the episode straight up says i would not take the serum if i had the opportunity he doesn't even hesitate yeah. lamar doesn't even hesitate in saying he absolutely would take the serum um which his i think his reassurance that he would take it in a minute just tells walker that he should take it mm-hmm. and um it kind of ends with them saying they could have saved a lot of people with that serum if they yeah. had had it, and so they're seeing it in a positive way. But what they've done up until now, they they haven't actually had to save anybody. They've really only been hurting people. Yeah. So it's interesting. But I wish that Lamar could have could play like a bigger part in in this role with him. Like I wish there had been two super soldier serums,
1: mm. and it could have
0: been them together, you know, or something like that. Because yeah like, i feel like-,
1: like he gets the um the serum in the comics is from yeah
0: power broker i feel like if they're going to be very close in the way that they're thinking and the way they're going about this that he should have been a part of that side of the journey with the super soldier serum do you think that they could have like split it or do you think it wouldn't have worked I genuinely am really pissed about the way the super soldier serum works. I understand, like, it's modern day and it's supposed to be less clunky and, you know, people aren't supposed to die from it, but it shouldn't be as easy to take as, like, off screen. Like, Walker literally takes this off screen and is fine two minutes later. I just got vaccinated the other day and I was, like, sick for at least a day. You're telling me the super soldier serum (laughs) isn't going to have lasting effects? For more than 10 minutes, like, the, yeah. the Flake Smashers talk about it burning through their veins and stuff. That's and he's, true. He's fine, like, an, not two hours later. That's when so he true. Goes. So that just, this, this whole super soldier serum thing really ticks me off because the science, we're shown one thing in the first Avenger, and I understand that was, like, how many years ago. But I hate that we yeah. have, like, this modern version that's so accessible and easy, and they made it too easy.
1: Like, yeah. way too easy
0: but only one person gets one vial and I just, I don't know I think he could have considered giving it to Lamar or sharing it or, yeah, why not could have given it to the government to make more, you know, there's so many possibilities with that but we're kind of on track for one story specifically in this episode and it's whatever fits that story there's Um, also that first
1: Avenger parallel
0: I love a good first Avenger parallel me too it's just like the whole idea of like the serum amplifies good but it also amplifies bad i just i love that and i love how it keeps coming up in this show and this is another scene where they directly reference it Mm -hmm. like lamar and walker both discuss the fact that well it only amplifies good to great so you're fine but lamar
1: like says power just makes someone more of themselves because that's why mm-hmm. he's confident that like he could take the serum, not he John, but he Lamar. And then he after like in the same breath, like he 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 like you said, he says that like Walker could take it because of that too.
0: I think with Lamar, a lot of his a lot of what Walker like Walker does in the heat of battle and stuff, I think he agree w- agrees with on some level. Like he would do a version of that or something. Yeah. So I think for him, it's like he's just reflecting his own thoughts and ideas. So and I think. Lamar and Walker have been friends for so long that he just knows what to say to Walker, too. Like, he's just Mm -hmm. used to saying what Walker wants to hear. So, yeah, I think there's so many layers of that relationship that we didn't delve into in this series that I'm really mad about because it would have given these scenes more context. I will note, though, that Clay Bennett, who plays Lamar, um, he has a really cool Marvel Cinematic Universe and Kim's Convenience connection. (laughs) Um, which is like he's uh, also a Canadian actor and he actually played uh, Alex in the stage version of Kim's Convenience. Uh, Simu pointed this out on Twitter the other day. And Simu also said that they were both in Heroes Reborn. Shelby and I were talking about this (laughs) earlier that we don't recall anything that happened in that show. I recall it being slightly problematic of a TV show. Um, It was a little while ago, but yeah so Simu and Clay were both in Heroes Reborn together but Clay was actually the lead and he was a a stunty so that's kind of interesting and now they're both in the Marvel Cinematic Universe um but anyways the other side of this conversation happens with Carly and Sarah this phone call is really
1: weird to me
0: I kind of like it I don't know I just like
1: I just don't think that Carly sounds like a human being
0: (laughs) I don't think she had to be as young as she was in the series. I think I wish they had a. They will do this in later episodes um, as the conflict gets more intense. They will kind of play to like her more childish youth, like her fear in the moment of battle and stuff, because she's not battle tested or anything. Like she's not a soldier. Um, But I don't think she had to be that young, especially if she's going to be like you know this leader of the flag smashers, and a lot of the flag smashers are older anyways. So it makes sense that she could have maybe been like in her later 20s or 30s and it probably would have made more sense for the dialogue it, either that or she's just maybe like a prodigy <laughs> like she does talk she does talk about wanting to be a teacher and a professor and it's everything a prodigy <laughs> you never know
1: i mean true
0: but she does call sarah uh to discuss sam and essentially she just wants to give sam like the location of where she's camped out currently but she wants to know that sam is kind of on her side or that he at least has the same opinions as she does about the fight that they're they're fighting and um i do think this is a really great scene for carly as a as a villain as like an actual antagonist because Mm -hmm. she She starts the conversation off similar to John Walker in that she introduces herself as Carly Morgenthau just because she knows that Sarah has heard her name on the news and it's going to like strike fear in her. Mm -hmm. And she definitely is trying to pretend like it's a normal conversation that they're having and she just wants to know more about Sam. And then she kind of just turns on a dime and and threatens sarah and the boys and she gets very specific with her threat about exactly where they are in that moment and where she could find them um and yeah i think it was like a real a real move on on carly's part as like an as an actual scary stakes building like villain i i really i liked it it kind of did give her a little bit of an air of like fear as as an antagonist that she could actually you know really hurt somebody and she does have that ability and i thought that aaron really acted i mean the dialogue's kind of not reasonable for a 17 year old to be saying but i think aaron herself acted this scene really well and i love sarah wilson i don't think we've seen enough of her no and i really like i like her line that she says where uh, she says my world doesn't matter to america so why should i care about its mascot yeah that's a good line I love that line. I think that's so good. And I that's mean it's why exactly it makes me wish
1: that we had like more of Sarah. Like I want to hear more of her perspective.
0: She's like a working mother with two kids and she's not a superhero. And I love she, that. She like lives she's through just, the blip. Yeah, she's just like a normal human being. And I, I love that. So yeah, I really I like that we got to see these two kind of play off each other for a minute. Sarah reasonably, like, calls Sam right away and lets him know that this girl threatened her. I find it interesting, though, Sam knows that Carly threatened his his sister and his nephews. And that would understandably make him really angry, like, John Walker-level angry. Mm. But when he meets up with Carly, and I'd like to point out that Bucky does go with him because they trust each other and they're going to have each other's backs no matter what, which... Love that yeah but yeah uh when he goes to meet up with with carly he he's not angry at least not like in her face angry he still tries to reason with her even though she just threatened his sister and his nephews like his entire world she she's threatening to to kill them and he still tries to reason with her and 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 get her to pull back a little bit and i think that speaks a lot to who sam is again
1: what's not to love about sam
0: well, there's not a lot to love about Walker cuz <laughs> he does show up immediately. I see everywhere all of the time. He's like, and they even made like Sharon his babysitter. She's following him on the satellites, so she lets him know when he arrives, which mm-hmm. was must have been like a fun day for her, but and he she, shows yeah, sure up. she had
1: nothing better to do with her time.
0: <laughs> yeah, he sh- Walker shows up and he immediately escalates the situation again. As we've seen in almost every single <laughs> mission that he's been on yeah the uh, the flag smashers end up scattering again and um we do see walker bend. i don't know if it's like a flex i don't know what he's doing but anyways he bends a pipe in half i in think front somebody of of the was like smashers. fighting
1: him with a pipe and he took yeah it in, like,
0: and then just bent it yeah and, like, to, like the flag smasher freaked he, out
1: yeah i think it's just a yeah. sign a lot of people that i watch like i talked to you about the show hadn't realized that he had taken the serum and i was like yeah well how do you think that he bent a pipe and then kicked a man through a wall
0: like (laughs) no it's funny you mentioned that because when i watched this the first time i didn't actually see that these episodes drop at 3 a.m eastern time and you
1: watch them when they drop and i I watch them
0: (laughs) when i when they drop and i get the majority of the information but forgive me for zoning out of some of walkers more like aggressive moments so i genuinely just didn't like process what he was doing with the pipe and i remember i like texted the group chat and i was like (laughs) you know did he just take the serum off screen and and you guys were like no he like bent the pipe and i was like oh cool okay i didn't even i just i knew he had the serum but like i didn't I didn't know there was like a specific detail that was like, hey, here you go. So yeah. I mean it's a subtle, it's a subtle, not so subtle detail. If you're definitely not paying attention, you're not gonna see it. But it doesn't take a lot to guess that he probably did take it off screen, which again makes me really mad because I hate to think that Howard Stark's very elaborate. Machine and all those theatrics were for nothing, so that John Walker could just take it in the bathroom of an airport.
1: What if every time somebody took the super soldier serum, they had to do that like
0: thing that Steve did, like stand in that like pot?
1: (laughs) What if that had to happen to every single person?
0: Then we wouldn't have the issues that we have right now. That's true. But, anyways, so Sam's not too happy about that. He basically like demands Walker tell him what he did because that's like worst case scenario. Um, Especially because I think Sam's just looking at it from perspective of this guy is bad news and he just took a serum that like it elevates everything about you. So he's not really worried about the other stuff. He's worried about the fact that Walker's been unhinged this entire time and he just took a serum that's going to amplify that. Um, But anyways, they get into like this main battle. Lamar is in there as well, but he gets like zip tied to a bathroom stall for like majority of the fight. So he's not really there. I forgot um, that they, that happened. There's like a whole a whole other part of the scene where it's just him trying to cut himself loose from zip I ties. I forgot
1: all about that.
0: <laughs> but there's like a main fight going on in this pavilion with um, Carly and the Flag Smashers and John Walker and Bucky and Sam are there. And it's really like another one of these like really elaborate fights that we've been building too. Um, it is really cool though. We get like a part uh, One of the, uh, one of the Flag Smashers pulls out a massive knife and john walker says what's with all the knives and it just it makes me laugh because i feel like marvel is never going to stop making references to like howard stark's reference about hydra not attacking with pocket knives like that the villain <laughs> the villain would never attack with a pocket knife and and then bucky did in winter soldier like immediately after that and then um to have You know, Walker, who's technically Captain America, come into a room and all these flag smashers pull out knives is so funny to me while he's holding the shield. It's also great that we get Bucky, you know, the knife-wielding master, kind of get to show off his skills.
1: It just makes me happy for Sebastian because he works so hard.
0: John Nania, that uh, is his stunt double. He posted a huge thing on Instagram about it. Um, I do suggest you go over and look at the post if you can. But essentially, uh, he said that Bucky doesn't use like a lot of guns and knives um, in the series. And it was a conscious decision to help show Bucky's journey away from being just a killer. Mm. Um, But the idea of doing a knife fight was a really awesome idea because it's like the, they referred to it as the, you can't dethrone the king fight. You know, they wanted they wanted a scene where Bucky could just, like, excel with his knife skills, and Sebastian Stan as well. And um, they said if you take note, Bucky uses the back and the unsharp side of the Tonto and defense manner throughout the fight. He never actually uses, like, the knife part of it. Um, and then he throws the knife right by his head as, like, a statement to not cross that line. And then line.
1: says, you're welcome.
0: Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, Bucky. And it's just, yeah, they said that... Um, that this was, this fight was one hundred percent Sebastian Stan, and that he nailed the knife flip on the first take. So, that's pretty proud awesome. Of him. Proud I, of him. I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud that Bucky got to show off his cool knife skills again. I, I just love when he d- gets to do that. So that was really cool, and I also like that it just ties into like the Hydra with a pocket knife reference. That's really so, funny. It, all <laughs> around, really cool. Th- this fight goes from really cool to really emotionally devastating and horrible in a matter of seconds (laughs) which is great John John Walker is like fighting like a bunch of flag smashers and Carly who's decided she's going to kill Captain America kind of enters the scene and she goes to run at John and then Lamar who has been not involved in this fight at all and sees two super soldiers like running at each other decides he needs to like get in the middle of that and he grabs Carly And it's not, like, a conscious... I don't think she was trying to actually hurt... Like, I don't think she was trying to kill Lamar, but she throws him really hard against a pillar, and it's, like, like a stone pillar, so he, like, dies upon impact, I'm assuming. We don't really see... This is is still a TV-14 show, so we don't really see a lot, but we do see him slump over, and we assume that he's died. But the scene does a really good job of like everything stops immediately when Lamar hits the pillar, like Mm -hmm. all the fighting stops, the sound stops and you, and it kind of goes in slow motion. You see Sam and Bucky turn around. So you kind of know it kind of, it kind of elevates the gruesomeness of it. And then it just keeps the buzzing gets louder and louder as John's like walking over to Lamar and shaking him. And then it just gets to like a high pitched screaming, buzzing noise. It's like, he comes to the conclusion that like Lamar died and like Carly when she threw him at the pillar killed him so he didn't have to die. Yeah. Like period. Like Yeah, so let's let's talk about Lamar's death because (laughs) it's sad when it like the actual death is quite is quite sad and and brutal. Um but it's it's I think the worst part of it is it's an accident more than anything. It's still a fight to the death, but he he wasn't involved in it. So that, that always makes it like harder to watch.
1: It also is hard to watch because why are we killing a black character to advance the emotional arc of a white man? Like, why? Why are we doing that still in 2021? (laughs) That I don't get it. It's unnecessary. Walker could still have the same fallout that he does at the end of this episode without lamar dying lamar could have gotten seriously injured so that he wasn't around and walker could still have an outburst that leads him to where he goes it's unnecessary it doesn't make any sense and i try to like understand and maybe see their side of things and telling this story but i i don't
0: um. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all of that. From a character standpoint, we just didn't get to know Lamar at all. He really was just like a plot tool, which was really frustrating. Because in the yeah. comics, they're kind of like two sides of the same coin in a lot of a lot of ways. And it would have been nice to see them go on this like journey together. But the problem with like six episodes and not having a lot of time to build these arcs is that it usually has to come at a character's suspe- like expense and the problem with lamar is he's kind of that linchpin for walker from the start he i mean it's not a shock that he dies you can there i think the show kind of hints at his death like two other times where it even like slows down before he hits like the ground on the on the highway and there's like another scene where he gets hit fighting the flag smashers and so they're constantly you know shadowing it in the plot that's going to happen but it's difficult because I think they were just setting up the story that this was the only way they were going to get Walker to kind of go off because he didn't have any other connections. It was literally just Lamar. And so in a way they built the story in this, in this way that it could only be Lamar's death that really built to this, this insane, emotionally devastating, like gravitating finale that we're about to get to. But at the same time, no, no show is ever elevated by a character's death it shouldn't be it should be everything around it it's like you can have a really good character death but there has to be build up to it there has to be a reason for it and there just isn't that with lamar's lamar's death we just didn't know enough about him there's really the only payoff to his death is this scene that we're about to see and yeah it's really emotional and it's important and it needed it it kind of needed to happen but it would have been nice to see the show set up several different ways it could have happened so that it, w- it didn't always have to be Lamar and we didn't see it coming like a mile away too mm-hmm. I think they could have done so much more with his character and I, I wish he had a stuck around even so I wish they just had a fleshed out his character a little bit more I think it pays off for what it needs to do for this episode but the other hand of it is that we lose this potentially great character yeah for a death that isn't really even that successful, like his actual death scene, you know, it's sad, but then it's immediately overshadowed by something else. So, yep. but that does lead us into the closing scene, which I have mixed feelings about this. Um, as it being like, I don't know how to, because it's not my favorite scene, but I think it's like one of the most, not, and again, not important scenes. I don't know how to say it. It's one of the most impactful scenes that I've ever seen in like a Marvel property that's very yeah yeah i think impactful is the word for it but essentially walker walker like loses it when lamar dies the music does the score does a really good job in the scene again of like just building up this this lack of noise and this buzzing in his ear and it's kind of like what walker's kind of hearing is this complete lack of noise that's being replaced with anger he basically just it keeps escalating and escalating the sound gets louder and louder until he bursts through the window and he starts chasing Nico, one of the flag smashers down the street and you can feel like the tension building and the music building to something and uh he ends up cornering him out on this on the street by this fountain and um yeah he decides in that moment his anger gets the best of him and he decides This man that was running away from him that did not kill Lamar and was not hurting anybody in any way uh, needed to die for for his crimes, um, which is really sad that he made that decision. But we get this really grotesque scene where he uses the shield as, for the first time, a weapon to kill somebody. And it's really devastating and grisly and everything I never thought I was going to see Captain America do. I wouldn't trade this scene out for... I know some people thought it was unnecessary. I wouldn't trade it out because I think it's one of the most powerful scenes the series has in its arsenal. Mm. And I think it does what it needs to in terms of showing us why people like Walker should never be put in positions of power and authority. I think just suggesting that Nico was like a Captain America fan made it even worse, kind of more, more impactful that way, even though it was kind of a throwaway line. Yeah, it was really really powerful even if it was just completely disgusting and made me want to throw up watching it i agree i think that this
1: was its moment that you know how on wandavision when evan Peters showed up we were all like we all like sat on the edge of our seats and we were all like wait a minute this is like their moment this is that for the falcon and the winter soldier because up until this moment there have been times where you like okay like Sam and Bucky can get the shield back and everything will be okay. And, but like, after, after this, there's no going back, like in the same way that you can't look ahead to the future of Captain America without thinking of Isaiah Bradley, there's no way you can go fu- like go ahead with the future of Captain America and not think of, of Walker, like wielding the shield as a, as a means to kill a man in broad daylight he's permanently tarnished, if not completely destroyed the reputation of Captain America by killing a man who looked up to that symbol as as a like a symbol of hope. And like yeah, I would I agree that I wouldn't trade the scene. I think that I think it makes what the show does with Walker even more frustrating because he's a villain. He's like a bona fide villain. He's a killer. Like he killed a man. Mm -hmm. Like an innocent person. Like I wrote about this in my review. The my first concern after the fact of like after settling with what had happened is that if Captain America is this now, I I knew that this show was always gonna be like we knew going into this that Sam was gonna become Captain America. Like there was no denying that. Like it would be a journey to that point. But I was so concerned that Sam was gonna be shouldered with the burden of having to to repair the reputation of captain america i didn't want that for him because that's not sam's responsibility and it it really bothered me that like lamar had to die for this to happen with walker because it wasn't it shouldn't have been lamar's whole purpose on this show just to guide walker in the right direction to get to this point it's it was frustrating and impactful and i just i was so concerned i i could not care less about walker in this scene i was disgusted Mm -hmm. by the actions and i i knew before this scene but this solidified it that i couldn't i could care less what happens to him i just knew that he he couldn't have that shield anymore because what it represented is gone the whole world is watching as the episode is titled it is like the present and people have phones and people are recording this and there's no way to like push this all back down in the crucible and act like it never happened. There's no way to do that. Honestly, just more concerned with Sam. I was more concerned about him. I didn't want I didn't want him. I didn't want this to discourage him any further from picking up the shield, but I also didn't want him to pick up the shield in retaliation to this just to make it better because he shouldn't have to. I think that this like this is it's this is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier's big scene that like left us all like what's going to happen next if they did this? what's Mm -hmm. gonna
0: happen next it definitely it's yeah it's one of those scenes that haunts you and you don't know how to feel about it because it makes you feel horrible but its purpose is to make you feel horrible so you you don't know how to be mad at 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 the show or and yeah again i wasn't thinking about john walker at all in that moment i mean we already know who he was and what he was going to do the moment he got that shield and so just seeing him do it was enough but um I, yeah, I had a very visceral reaction to the scene. Uh, I don't, I don't cry very often. Um, And I know I texted a couple of people after this and was like, I was a mess. And they were like, oh, I didn't, I wasn't crying. I was just shocked. And, but I full on, it didn't, I think the first time he threw, he took the shield down and we don't even see it. We just get the suggestion of what he's doing and hitting this guy with the shield. And you see the blood on the shield. I just, I lost it. I just full on ugly cried. Captain America is like it's a fictional symbol. But it means a lot to a lot of people mm-hmm. and there's a reason th- there's a reason it's like it's not just an American symbol. I mean, I'm not even American and I idolize Captain America and what he stands for because he never has just stood for like American ideology ideology and, and all that he he stands for what we as a world should try to move towards and and the good in humanity and it was devastating to see the shield that i have plastered around my walls of my bedroom and that you know i see as a as a symbol of protection and it just got used so brutally and and disgustingly and it's covered in someone's blood and that was just such a powerful visual for me and it just it it enacted so much grief and anger in me in that moment that i know they were doing something right because they were just showing us in in the wrong hands and we see this with civil war when steve rogers is fighting tony stark over bucky and there is a moment where he could he could go for the death blow with with the shields and he chooses not to Because he's Steve Rogers, and you kind of see the opposite now of if his anger had got the best of him, just how deadly that shield is and how disgusting it can be to use it in that manner. But yeah, I just, it really upset me because it just, in a matter of minutes, unraveled everything that we've seen and everything that shield stands for. And it tainted it in ways that they'll never get that blood out now. And it just, it was a very permanent thing. It wasn't. It was almost the the equivalent of killing like Tony Stark off. You just you tainted the shield, the Captain America shield. Like you can't go back from that. And yeah, I think it it definitely had the levitivity that they wanted it to because I was an absolute mess. And it's it's definitely a chilling way to end this episode. The episode ends with no music in the credits or like a very low music, which I think is. A move they pulled in Infinity War, and it was smart then, and it's smart now. The music is what's getting the reaction out of us, and it's definitely an ending I won't forget anytime soon.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But in terms of Nico, uh, I will end on a happy note. The <laughs> actor who plays him, Noah Mills, uh, who is also Canadian, I was going to shut that out, but uh, he just got casted on NCIS Hawaii spinoff. So He's doing fine, <laughs> and he's bounced back great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that is that is episode four. The whole world is watching. We definitely won't forget it anytime soon. That's that's very true. <laughs> listening to another episode of our podcast we really enjoyed just diving into episode four with you we know it was a little bit of a tougher episode uh but we really enjoyed the discussion and we can't wait to dive into episode five next in terms of our reviews for this episode you can find my review of episode four of falcon winter soldier on telltale tv and you can find shelby's review of episode four on fangirlish and we are also now on scener Uh, which is an app for watch parties. So whenever we drop a new episode, we will also be doing a watch party. For that episode.
1: And if you are looking for a place to listen to this podcast, we are now on Apple Podcasts, where you can go and listen to all of our episodes so far and leave us a rating and review, which would be great. We would appreciate super the great. feedback.
0: It would be super great.
1: And while you're at it, you can follow us on our socials. Our Instagram is at Podcast. Our Twitter is at SuperIntuit underscore. Our email is superintuitpodcast at gmail.com and our senior is at superintuit.
0: We hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we'll see you soon. This has been Super Intuit.
1: And we're super into the Falcon and the Winter Soldier.